Hey guys, I'd like to thank everyone who has pre-ordered my book, Life of the Party. As you can tell from my Twitter feed, if you tweet your receipt, I follow, retweet, and favorite you. Why do I do that? Because I'd be an asshole if I didn't. Your pre-order determines how well this book does opening week, and how well it does opening week determines how well it does overall. So if you haven't already, please go to BurtBurtBurt.com and pre-order my book, Life of the Party. And if you have pre-ordered it, you know I love you with all my heart. I am back on tour. Pittsburgh, March 7th and 8th. Chicago, March 14th and 15th. West Palm, March 21st and 22nd. Edmonton, April 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Today's guest, comedian, sports writer, club owner, Larry the Cable Guy critic, and ex-MySpace wizard, Steve Hofstetter. This is we're recording <clears throat> what happened what, what happened to it uh sirius didn't really know if it wanted to be like a jukebox of just stand-up clips or have original content and then it was hard to find original content on sirius uh yeah in my opinion like and it was it was something that you turned on kind of like you would I say, I say, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip the networks, but there's certain yeah. networks, not mine included, but but that you turn on and you just leave on all day. And, and Travel Channel yeah. is kind of one like that. But Sirius was something like that. That yeah. it's like original content was kind of got lost. Like Stern, yeah, you went for. Well, when Stern came over, basically they diverted every bit of resource to that, and that was toward the end of when I was there, and mm-hmm. it was like. Uh, do, do you know Mike Trainer? No. Um, he's a comic. He was uh, he was like one of the people on the show, and he uh, he said that they advertised it as if they were advertising nuclear launch coats. Like we would get like maybe one commercial a week, and it would be in the middle of the night. Like people didn't know what the fuck the show was. The show was four quotas. You had four different ethnicities of comics. Uh, kind of. It was a white comic, a black comic, a female, and a wild card. And what was the wild card? Just Puerto Rican. It could always. be anything. It had to be it Puerto be, Rican. You're yeah. in New York. It had to be, be Puerto Rican. <laughs> yeah, it was. Everyone was Puerto Rican. Whether or not they were Puerto Rican, they were Puerto Rican. Uh, it was no. It could be like a gay comic. It could be an Indian comic. It could be a second white comic. You know. Yeah. Which it often was. Um, <laughs> but that's how the whole thing came about. When and I just realized I didn't even know where we were mm-hmm. recording for. All right, cool. Yeah. In the man cave is Steve Hofstetter. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm hoping. These are my favorite podcasts. I'm hoping okay. you don't know who Steve Hofstetter is, so you get to be really kind of fascinated for the next hour and change, hour and a half, about the kind of path that you've led, because your path has been one that's been subject to debate for other comics. It's been uh, controversial. It's been somewhat, uh, I would say, I-, I, would, I wouldn't say calculated, but like you have the same kind of work ethic as Dane. Okay. So you're very like kind of like you're regimented. Is I'm that hoping regimented? I'm hoping the opposite. I'm hoping people actually know who the fuck I am, but I uh it's, I it's, but in this podcast, they don't even know who I am. But as as an honest person to myself, I imagine they don't. I'm hoping. I'm sure yeah. there's I'm guarantee you that for my fragile the, ego, you know, I <laughs> Yeah. Don't have to talk about ego to this guy. Oh yeah. god, I'm fucking. Oh, well, I'm curious. I'm curious about because I've heard, you know, in terms of what other comics think of me. You know, I've heard everything from, you know, nicest guy in the world to unfeeling robot. You know, to I, I never got unfeeling robot. Yeah. from you. I've always thought you were really nice, but I was always Thank on you. your. I was always, I was always Team Huffstetter. Yeah, well, thank you. There, there is Jay Black described it really well. He said that I'm binary. 
that pe- people are either ones or zeros when it comes to me. I just, and, I just thought you you have a very computer. <laughs> well, no, but that also it also works. No, but that's the thing. Like uh, Adam Hunter, who's one of my best friends in the world, you know, refers to me constantly as an alien, and you know, just the idea that like I I approach things a little bit differently. Yeah, and you know. Uh, and, and people give people give Dane shit for that, and you know I think that this is a business, and a lot of people forget that this is a business, and and you have to claw your way up there. And as long as nothing you do is immoral, and as long as nothing you do is you know under the table and shady, mm-hmm. then it's it's fine that you are. I always think it's hilarious when comics give me shit for working hard. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Should I have should I have slept later? Yeah. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> comics want. We we all want the same thing. We all want success, and we all want to be respected. But in a yeah. weird way, we respect those who kind of uh, fuck it all. Like, who gives a shit? The, we always talk about the sets that someone had where they didn't give a fuck. Yeah. And they really pissed it away. And those are the funniest to us. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> you know... Uh, and in a weird way, but, you know, and, and then, like, when I, I use Dane as an example only because he is the example of yeah. the first guy that I really knew that took advantage of the internet. Yeah. You were, I think, quantifiably, easily, the second guy who took advantage of it on the next fucking level. Like, you, you, but you never, but you also still had that kind of fuck it, throw it in the fire attitude the name of your first album was death to the cable guy it was well it was my second album but it was the first one that anybody knew anything about it was uh cure for the cable cure cure for for the cable guy but it was it was the cable guy hung in cable by a coaxial cable on the cover yeah we actually couldn't even hang an actual larry doll because they were so cartoonishly stupid that we had to like dress up a gi joe as larry the cable guy in order to get the photo shoot to work but it was yeah. I uh, I got album cover of the month in Stuff Magazine, and and there was you know it, it was a huge controversy mainly because when I recorded the album, I mean I was twenty six. I was barely I had turned twenty six a week before I recorded the album. I was a kid, and people hadn't heard of me, and so for me to fire a shot that big as an unknown, people freaked out, which was so funny to me because if you're right, who cares how old you are? Yeah. If you're right, you're right. It doesn't matter. It's the same way that people are like, oh. Well, he can tell a fat joke because he's fat. Like, really? Does that make it okay? Or, yeah. or is the joke itself okay? And so that was that was a big controversy. And there were a lot of comics who gave me a ton of shit. And I remember who every one of them was because really? I'm not stupid. You know, I remember the people who who were like, "Well, fuck this kid." And now that I'm, really? I'm not anymore. You know that now that I'm 34 and I've got a bunch of TV credits and I I produce on a TV show and things like that. Own comedy clubs. Uh, yeah, I own I own uh, three comedy clubs and I I don't forget who the who the whiners were. You know, I don't forget who the unprofessional dicks were. Now I was I was inter- I was introduced to you <clears throat> just before that. Yeah, like, just before that album came out, you had and I remember. Uh, Marshall Childs called me. Yeah, this is the virtual comedy heroes, right? Yes, Marshall, Marshall Childs called and he said, "I got a gig in Athens. Maybe the worst gig I've ever done in my entire life, by the way. The gig, I mean, literally to this day, I I got in a fight with Eddie If that night. <laughs> like, really, it was a fucking clusterfuck. This was I. I don't even know we, about we this did, one. We did. We did two dates. We did one in Athens and one in Atlanta. Okay, yeah, I mainly knew the Atlanta one. And this was at the time you had. So MySpace comes out. Dane owns MySpace. You yeah. literally 
I, I think a foothold is the you basically I, own. I my made space. a huge mistake. Uh, Wait, the, so what? Tell us from the beginning <laughs> what happened. All right, so I noticed. It, it started with Facebook, actually, for me. Really? Okay, because so, you were in college, so you actually had a Facebook account. Well, I, I had just graduated. I, I had an EDU address from Columbia, which was one of the first nine schools on Facebook. And so I was able to have a Facebook account before most adults. You know, I had been out of school for maybe two, three years, uh, or I guess a little bit longer. It was 04. Okay. Uh, actually, you know what? Let me go back a little bit further. Um, so I, I don't know if people are familiar with uh, iJustine. But she is a uh, she's a blogger. She sometimes does stuff on MTV. Uh, she's got she's got like eleven million Twitter followers. It's ridiculous. Um, she and I were friendly slash a little bit dating at the time, and this was before she was doing any of this stuff. Before I was doing any of this stuff. When we were both just internet dorks, and so she as a joke. And by one the day, way, this is before internet dork became hip. Yeah, yeah. This was when. This is when you actually were an internet dork. Yeah, this was when <laughs> I was just trying to have contact with other human beings, and uh, and Justine was very hot, and I was like, "Really? There's a hot one here." And and so, that, and, and for the, also for the record, that was the thing that turned me off about the internet when Dane introduced me to it and was like, "Dude, you talk to these people." I was like, "Who fucking talks on the internet?" Yeah, and he was like, "Trust me, everybody. real people." Yeah. Re- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so ticket sales. Yeah, hipsters. Um, so Justine, as a joke, made a profile for me on MySpace and a profile for uh, Ashton Kutcher on MySpace, and had them talk to each other, just kidding around of like you know, and sent me this thing where like we were commenting on each other's pages. Like he was like, "Oh man, I'm so sorry, I missed your show. We totally got to hang next time I'm in LA." Oh. And it was just in the ether. It was like there was no promotion. There was nothing. All of a sudden. I'm getting added by like 3,000 12-year-old girls who are big Ashton Kutcher fans. And wow. it hits me where I go, well, shit, this is, this is interesting. And I don't know what to do with it yet, but it's interesting. Then Facebook came about. And this was, you know, someone had told me about it. And as a joke was like, oh, you know, I bet I've got more friends on this than you do. And it was a girl I knew at UPenn. And I was like, well, you know, you're still an undergrad. You probably do. And then I was like, well, you know, let me, let me go add some people at schools that I'm playing soon. Because I was, I was a college act. So I added some people at UF and You're at You're how Nuremberg. old at the time? I was, this was uh, Christmas 24? Eve 2004. So this was, I was, uh, I just turned 25. Okay. So uh, I guess, yeah, I'd been out of school for about three years. So I added a couple of people at those schools and suddenly 200 of their friends added me back. And those shows were packed and it hit me. Uh, it was actually a little bit before Christmas Eve because Christmas Eve is when I did it because, you know, I'm Jewish. I had shit to do. You know, what am I going to do yeah. on Christmas? So I love looking at Jewish people's Instagram on Christmas Eve in Cabo. Oh, it's and you're the, like, fucking yeah, really? It's the best. We're like, we're actually we're actually getting shit done. We're having a good time. <laughs> Bought a comedy club on Christmas this year. Um, <laughs> so uh, so I, I, I started realizing, holy shit, this is, this is huge. And on Christmas Eve, 04, I launched a quest for 10,000 friends. And I was writing for collegehumor.com at the time. And so I had access to a lot of college students. And so as a joke, I was like, let's do a little social experiment. I want to get 10,000 friends. In two weeks, I had 15,000. And I was like, okay, now it's a quest for 100,000. Let's do this. Let's take this to the next level, which is something that has often gotten me into trouble. 
seeing seeing the goal line and going, fuck, why can't I score eight touchdowns this game? It's like, well, because you're not fucking supposed to. You're not yeah, supposed to. Because then you're not passing the ball to anybody else. Exactly. And the team gets in the locker room and everyone's like, oh, look who got the MVP. Of course he did. Yeah. <laughs> and pe- yeah, exactly. People get pissed off. And so, but it worked. And I ended up with 200,000 friends on Facebook. And which is the most anyone's ever had. You could still look it up. It's weird. Every now and then, like a German newspaper will do a story on it. It's very strange. Yeah, and I don't know why a German paper, but they're very obsessed, dude. With German, the- German, and uh, and uh, Denmark in Denmark. Yeah, dude, they cover shit that you're like, really? Still? Yeah, you're like, why is this? I love them. I love. I'm huge in Denmark. That's awesome. I have. I did. Uh, I, am I not. did my. I did my uh, <laughs> my what will the maid think series? Yeah, uh, which was really popular in the states. But it blew the fuck up. It would crash my site once a month in Denmark. They that just, is nuts. And yeah. you just go to you just go to Denmark. You can't walk around. I no no. I, I they just know it's a comic. They don't really know it's me. I mean, I imagine oh. I could probably try to do a tour, but I don't speak Denmarkian. So yeah. Well, first that's your first problem. Yeah. It's called Denmarkish. So, <laughs> uh, so. Uh, yeah, so then this blew up, and then I saw MySpace as a possibility for it also, and so then I, I moved it over to MySpace, and I started doing things, and I realized that people love local, and this hit me from touring and seeing local radio, where people would rather listen to some shit show that was recorded in their small town than like a good national show, because it's like, well, this is about me. Yeah. So I divided my MySpace profiles. Facebook, you could only have one, because you needed that confirmed address. MySpace, you can make whatever address you want. So I made a MySpace profile for every city I could tour, and each one blew up because people were like, oh, this guy cares enough about, you know, Burlington, Vermont, that he's going to make a profile for it. And he's going to and, – and so I could sell out any city in the country at that point, and I was barely headlining at all. 25 years old. You've been doing stand-up maybe three years? Two uh, years? I started when I was 21. I started improv when I was 13, so I'm a bit of a different story. Yeah. But yeah, I was – I mean, I had headlined maybe – 10 times at this point. And so, aside from college gigs. And and so then that blew up. In college gigs, you learn a lot more than you'd think. Yeah, I think you actually do because they're so bad sometimes that, you know, you go there and you're like, okay, if I can make 10 people who are upset that I'm here laugh, yeah. like what can I do at a comedy that club where people paid money? football player with his arms crossed in the front row who you don't even know why he's there, but he yeah. just wants to mad dog you the whole show and prove that you're not funny because you don't look like him. Oh, yeah. I I almost got my ass kicked by an entire lacrosse team. Bobby Kelly has my favorite line ever. Uh, some black guy was sitting. I, I forget the I, f- I forget where it was, but it happened to me at the same college. I yeah. would say it was Ball State, and the black guy just sat with his arms crossed, pulled the chair up in the front, and just mean dogging him. And then and uh, Bobby Kelly said something. Uh, come, you don't scare me. He goes, I should. And he goes, No, no, no. You're in college. You don't nothing about you scares me. Your friends that didn't go to school, they scare me. Nice. <laughs> You're the one that applied for an entrance exam. I didn't even and just tore this fucking guy's That's ass awesome. open. Bobby Kelly is one of my favorite. Anyway, keep yeah, going. I'm sorry. Bobby's awesome. Uh so so the MySpace thing kinda kinda blew up with that, and I actually got into a little trouble. This was the eight touchdown problem, where MySpace decided they wanted every comic to become a comedian profile. And so and they also decided they wanted to start a MySpace comedy page. Yes. You owned the domain MySpace comedy, correct? Well, kind of. I had MySpace.com slash comedy. Yeah. By owned, I mean, that was my profile. That was my main profile, which is part of how it blew up. And because there was, you know, when they said you could choose your own username, I'm like, it's like the first day of the internet. You can go whatever dot com you want. Like I told Hunter to take uh, MySpace slash comedian. Now, when they wanted to do the MySpace.com slash comedy, I said, hey, I'd be happy to help you out. 
I, I taught them about how, how to put together a comedy tour. You know, I taught, like, I, I, I had a nice long conversation with them. They changed all my profiles to comedian profiles, which sucked because then they had a top 100 comedians and I was 73 of them. That was the one thing. That's where people started getting pissed. Yeah, because comics, this little thing you need to know about comics is we really do judge ourselves based on other comics. Sure. Like uh, podcasts. Please go rate, review, and subscribe to this if you haven't already. But do me a favor. Stop and rate, review because ultimately whatever ego I have is is either swollen or deflated by where I am on the podcast list. And you see some fucking acting student with 80 million other actor friends who has a ton of reviews because he just got all his all his actor waiters yeah. to review it. And you're like, but wait, but I'm on television. And you'd go to that and Dane Cook would be number one. Yeah. Carlos Mencia would be number two. Uh, Rogan would be like four or five. Yeah, Cat Williams would be up there. But you And then I was like the rest of them. Five through 27. Yeah. Like you were all of them and it was like... and and. And you were like, I just want to break through the Hofstetters. Well, yeah, I didn't. <laughs> that's hilarious. I just want uh, to get in the Hofstetter mix here. Yeah, I didn't. I did not want that to happen. I did not. And I called them and I asked them. I said, Can you please undo this? Look what you've done. People are mad. And and they didn't do it. And then, uh, oh, and another thing, by the way, that I offered them, I knew Facebook spam algorithm. So I knew how they, and it's a very simple process to how they, it's a little dorky, but it's a very simple pretend, process. Pretend, pretend I don't know what you just said. Okay. I knew, <laughs> I'll pretend. <laughs> yeah, let's just pretend. I, listeners out there. I knew Facebook's system for how they mark a message as spam. Okay. Um, and it was pretty simple. They assign everything a certain point value. If you send a message twice within an hour, you get like an extra point. Or if you send two messages within two minutes, you get like 10 points or whatever. And when it equals 100 points, they go, you're a spammer. You can't send for an hour. Okay. You know, and if it equals more, you can't send for two days. If it equals more, your account's gone. That happened to me. So, yeah. And, and so I told MySpace about this. And I said, hey, I know their spam algorithm. I can help you with all your fucking gift card terribleness of, I'm, I'm a 25-year-old Russian woman. And I'd love to have sex with you. Yeah. And here's $500 free at Victoria's Secret. And, and this site's becoming total bullshit. And I told them I could help them with that. And they were very cocky. And they were like, we got this under control. And they clearly didn't. And then the they're gone mostly, right? The, the, oh, yeah. They, that's what killed them. Yeah. And then the ultimate, the ultimate insult was they took MySpace Comedy from me. I had offered it to them originally, and they said, no, nah, don't worry about it. And then they took it from me, and they were like, is there anything we can do for you in exchange? I'm like, oh, well, that's nice. Why don't you f- make me your featured comedian, considering I'm the most popular comic on MySpace, and you've never done that yet? Yeah. And they were like, yeah, sure. And they put me, I think, like, Four under under people managed by levity because they had controlled MySpace comedy at the time, and so it was. I mean, it was a total fuck you from them to me, you know. After and I also I also brought like two thousand comics to them because I was the first one that was really pushing this, and and it left a really bitter taste in my mouth to them. But it's fine because my horse was Facebook and that won. Yeah. So it was a whole big anyway. That's the long story of it. But that was. My my favorite part of it is that MySpace had an all hands on deck meeting about what they do about me, like as if as if I was invading them or something. That's really it was yeah. I was almost in the Facebook movie. Really? Yeah they uh they were they were talking to Sorkin about it um and I think it was too much of a red herring, um but I was what Facebook called uh, their first whale, which programming basically means something so big you have to program around it, and my profile this was when they were doing separate schools. My profile at Columbia was getting more hits than the rest of the Columbia network. And so they had to reprogram the site to accommodate that. 
Now, how do you find out about that? Um, I was in touch with them. You know, you get big enough, they reach out to you. So uh, Dustin Moskovitz, who's one of the people in the movie, yeah. um, or one of the characters, I guess he didn't play himself, uh, he was always super nice to me and and reached out and early on, you know, and, and he was helping me and I was helping him. It was kind of like I was telling him about how artists would use Facebook. You know, here here's how to make this artist-friendly because at the time, everyone was on MySpace. And he was, you know, he was giving me clues and stuff. I had to use Facebook better. That's how I learned the spam algorithm and that's how, you know, all that stuff. Um also, by the way, and I should have kept it because it would have been worth a million dollars now, but I totally had evidence. And this wasn't through Dustin. This was through an accident on my part. I totally had evidence that they did steal from the Winklevoss brothers. Really? 100%. And I don't have it anymore. Uh, I had a screenshot of – I don't know where the fuck it was. I don't know what computer it's on. I cannot find it. I looked for it one day because I'm like, I could sell this for $10 million. Yeah. Uh, there was a – there was a some back-end thing on their website – that was clearly an old thing from Connect U, which was the Winklevoss site. Yeah. And clearly they had that coding on their site. Like they had that saved. That's the, that's the website that uh, Zuckerberg worked for the summer before Facebook. Really? And so clearly he had saved some of the code. And I saw it. And it was just an accident. I was just typing some stuff to look for something. And I stumbled on it. And I was like, holy fuck. But at the time, I was so loyal to Facebook. And I was so loyal to Dustin that I was like, I can't show this to anybody. Yeah. And I guess I was dumb enough not to save it. Because now that Dustin's not there anymore, I'm like, well, fuck you guys. But, uh, well, it's not, it's not the same people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they reset my profile to, uh, to have a maximum of 5,000 people. They reset everyone's. Yeah, that, that really stunk because I, I loaded up 5,000 quickly, and then I was like, well, this is pointless for me. Yeah. And I still, I've got to be dead honest with you, I barely use Facebook now. Yeah. Yeah, the pages, they finally I, I was I was part of why they allowed the pages to be over five thousand. I campaigned for that pretty hard. Yeah. Um but I mean I wanted the profiles too, because people want to add the profile, not your page. People want to be able to chat with you. People want to be able to yeah, they don't want to just follow what you do. They want to be able to interact and, and Exactly quite honestly, the reason I'm on Facebook is so I can check out how fat ex girlfriends are. Yeah, that's And if I can't do that on a page. Isn't it so depressing when they're not? Uh, I think it's so depressing when. To be honest with you, I only have like, I only have like one ex girlfriend on there really that I can check up with. Yeah, and she looks great. She just had a kid. She looks really happy. I'm not friends with any of them because I just don't want that in my life. But I did. Really, that's I did. so interesting because you're such a social networking guy that I would assume you would. I'd assume you don't have bad breaks at all. That oh like, no, with I, chicks and stuff. Oh, and, are you kidding me? Really? Binary man. They're, they became zeros pretty quickly. <laughs> really? Uh, no, I mean, I still have, they're, they're still like people who I like casually dated. But I believe if you end something, it's for a good reason. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes it can be ended of like, ah, this just wasn't a fit. Best of luck to you. Um, but even that, I don't want them in my life. You know, um, my wife and I made a rule early on, which is, you know, anyone that has seen you naked should not be in your life once you're married. I I can agree with that. So, well, anyone who's seen you naked in a sexual context. Oh, because a lot of people have seen me naked. Yeah, that's a lot. That's true. Uh, uh, but so, so I remember. <laughs> so we did that. We did that virtual comedy, virtual comedy heroes. Yeah, it was virtual comedy it was heroes. Me and you, uh, Adam Hunter, Jay Davis, um, ben Eddie Ift, Ben Glebe. Yeah. I think that I think those were the people. And uh, and the the deal was there was a program like Steve will set up a MySpace profile for you in atlanta and in athens yes you will he will then get you friends i don't know how you did that 
Uh, it was a bot, which which at the time was real controversial, but now like everybody knows, it's just an auto responder. It's an auto whatever. Yeah, I didn't yeah. even. I still. They were like, you can download it and you can use it for your own, but you know, let's yeah, Steve. I, I didn't program it. I just knew a guy who had one. Yeah. How do you, how do you even find that? Did you did you are you the kind of person that then sees MySpace, sees that you can click an ad and then goes, there has to be a quicker way to do this. Yes. And then you search the internet. Yes. Really? Yeah. That's exactly what happened. Uh, it was it was actually the original thing that happened was I was working for Comedy Express TV at the time, which was a fledgling cable network that never got off the ground. Um, but while that was happening, someone was talking about you know, uh, oh yeah, they have this uh, automatic bot that allows you to approve your friend requests, and it hit me, and I go, well, that's not what you need an automatic bot for. You need an automatic bot to generate them. Yeah, and so I I went searching, and and that's how I found it. Really? Yeah. Fever Records. I don't even remember. I remember. I still get emails from them. I, oh, yeah? Yeah, like I, I downloaded it and then used it, and it was great. It was actually great. Yeah. But I remember we you said we said that we were going to do the dates on like like two weeks out, and within a week I had 5,000 friends, and within, within a week I had 15,000. I had more yeah. friends in Atlanta and in Athens than I had on my regular Facebook. Yeah, that's how it went. <laughs> And I was like, this is fucking insane. Yeah. And and the, the real trick was, and so many people miss this when it comes to social networking, the real trick wasn't about quantity. It was about its quantity of quality. And and the basic idea was you, you, you want to reach a lot of people, but you want to reach them in a way that will get them interested. And so I would reach out and I would say, hey, I'm a stand-up comic. I'm coming to Atlanta. You know, uh, please check out this video. If you think I'm funny please add me. If not, don't worry about it. Whereas other people would send messages that would be like, uh, you know, hey, I see from your profile that you love hardcore metal. And I'm like, I don't even have music in my profile. I don't even have, like, don't be that, you don't have to do that. Like, you don't have to lie to someone. You can be honest with them and still make them interested. And, And I believe the perfect sale is one where the buyer and the seller both feel like they get a good deal. And people who buy tickets are buyers, and people who sell them are sellers. And we have to make sure that they're, they they enjoy the show. So so we did that tour. Yeah, it went. It was it was great. And then and then uh, and then I think and then your cure for the cable guy I think came out right around then. Yes, and it was like so volatile because some people were like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" Yeah. And other people kind of like I want to say like the David Crosses of the world kind of got behind you. I don't know if David Cross is an example of someone. Uh, I've never interacted with, with Cross himself, but there were a lot of people who were like, yeah, it's about damn time, because we were all tired of getting of yell, of people yelling, get her done us, which is, I, what, which is gotta, what made me do disclosure, it. Full disclosure, my wife uses get her done in earnest. Like, oh. she uses it. Come on, girls, let's go. Let's get in time for school. Get her done. Like I, I just met her for a second, and she seems like a wonderfully sweet person. But now she and I can never be friends. <laughs> it just what made me do what made me do that album was when "Get Her Done" uh, was the United States Air Force slogan. When 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 it became like the official slogan, the ignorance of that made me realize, okay, this isn't a comic. This is a cultural force, and someone needs to say something. And I was just so tired of it. And I was also looking at comedy as a pendulum. And, you know, the, the pendulum going back and forth and realizing that it was time for it to go back into the smart comedy. Yeah. And, you know, it, it went into this whole like, you know, this just just 
my tractor's up on blocks, ah, kind of comedy. Yeah. And I realized that there, you know, it's time to swing back. And and it was, you know, it was, you know, then the rise of John Stewart and the, you know, the that whole school and and the silliness of Dimitri Martin and the, you know, that came right after. And so it it was me trying to very publicly say, "Hey, come on guys, this is not right." You know, this this is not like comedy doesn't need to pretend to be racist and homophobic, which Dan Whitney's not, and that's why it all happened. And it's funny; it's it's uh, eight years later, and it's still the thing I get asked about the most. Really? Yeah. No. At what point? Because it because it was, <clears throat> I mean, it was a brilliant marketing idea in the sense that it got your name out there a ton. But at what point? Because I know I like I'll have a great idea, like a great tweet that's a little like yeah. uh, edgy, and then you put it out there, and then you feel the backlash. At yeah. what point did the backlash? You go. Ooh. This is oh, pretty pretty quickly. Uh, <laughs> so much that I even dated someone I shouldn't have dated because just she was so supportive that I was like, I need that in my life. <laughs> um, it was, I w- if I could do it all over again, I would have still done it. I would have done it a little bit differently. I assumed more people would have agreed with me. I stated my case very carefully. You know, the little liner notes that I wrote and I sent out. Um, the first real incident happened the week before I released it. Uh, I met Lewis Black for the first time, and we met at a at a college convention, and we were we got along real well, and he seemed to be super nice and like, hey kid, if you ever need anything, you know that kind of it was great. And then I didn't realize, uh, I mean, I w- again, I wouldn't have changed it, but he's very good friends with Dan Whitney, and Dan Whitney, the guy who plays Larry the Cable Guy, yeah, and uh, you know, I guess they were doing comedy in Florida together or whatever it was, but I. Uh, he responded i sent an email to my address book being like hey this is what i'm doing and he responded and said like you don't have any you don't have any idea how wrong you are and he had an aol address so instant messenger days so i messaged him and i said hey i know you're very busy and i know you don't owe me anything but i'd like to know why i'm wrong and we had a little conversation it was very respectful but him basically saying that you know respect other comics and he's a good person and i was like well yeah but none of that is what i'm talking about you know and he's like and he said something about how if this was about you know george bush you know i'd understand and i said how is this any different you know it's a cultural force that everyone knows like how is this different just because he does stand up and just because he's your friend like please see past that he's your friend and basically it it he's not going to change his mind i mean what would happen if someone said something about your close friend doesn't matter if they're right oh, people say <clears throat> yeah no people say i i understand that and i i've never met uh larry i mean i i just yeah. call him larry only because i i don't yeah. like i, I really <clears throat> i don't know i but i've never met him i have had his potato chips are pretty fucking amazing yeah i've i've, I've, I've called i call him dan just because it's his it's his name <laughs> um, but I haven't. I've never met him. I know Colleen. You're, I, I imagine you've never worked the Omaha Funny Bone. Uh, I've not. No. Okay. <laughs> there, there are a lot of clubs out there I've worked, and I've worked places much more rural than that. But not. No, uh, but I'm Colleen yeah. who runs it is like literally best friends yeah. with Larry the Cable Guy, and I've never met him. I, I, I'd like to meet him. I, I don't. I don't have a really see. I don't. I don't have a. I don't have a problem with anything he does yeah. at all, and I'll tell you why. My wife. Like maybe if I would marry a different person, yeah. I would. But my wife comes from very, like, I mean, you, her dad's in there in his pajamas eating pancakes with the girls. Yeah, like that's her dad, and they they come from a very rural like town of twelve hundred people. And yeah, she, but he doesn't. What? Oh, I know, but oh, I actually I don't know. I don't know anything about him really. Yeah, I, he's I, a private school kid from Nebraska. Are you serious? Yeah. 
Really? He, he moved to uh he didn't move to uh Florida to get uh in state tuition uh, or to get uh to become a pig farmer. He moved to Florida to get in state tuition at FSU. He went to Florida which, State? Which where you went, right? He went to Florida State? I believe so, yeah. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. No, I like him more. No, yeah. no. Uh but he um uh, he, best of luck, by the way. I know. I'm yeah. going to the game tomorrow. Oh got, yeah? Yeah, I got tickets for Tom wow. Segura and uh one of my cameramen, Tyler. Nice. Yeah. Um but the opening movie, and and I, I'll be real honest. Yeah, I probably would have shat on that whole blue collar comedy thing. Yeah, because I was like, because uh, I, I had no real connection with that. It wasn't what I was talking about on stage. Yeah. and 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 I don't, and I believe, I always believe that if you're going to make, uh, like a racist, homophobic joke. Like if you're gonna make some, you it better be on the right side of the fence with a nod to the ridiculousness, yeah. Not just straight up homophobic or racist. I yeah. don't. I'm not saying that that's what he does, but I'm just saying that. Like I looked at that. Like I don't want nothing to do with that movie. Right. Like, opening week, my wife got us two tickets. She's like, "We're going," and I was like, "I don't want to see this." I, I, I haven't seen the movie. I literally sat like gonna be like. I'm a yeah. I'm a snooty comic. I'm gonna sit in the back with my arms folded. Yeah. And we were the only two people at the arc light. At the Blue Collar Comedy Tour movie. The opening weekend. Yeah. Two people, me and my wife. And uh and I did it was it was a it wasn't that bad of a movie. I didn't I don't I, I like I'm I think I write differently than a lot of those comics. Yeah. But I will tell you that, that Ron White story blew my fucking mind. I actually love Ron White. Yeah, I think Ron he's White. fantastic. I think Fo- Foxworthy, while I'm not into his stuff as much, you know, yeah. but when I was a kid I I loved Foxworthy yeah. and I think he's a he's a very smart writer. The problem I have with the with with Dan Whitney with the well not with with Dan with his character is here's a guy who is who is tolerant who is progressive who is open minded and who is doing the character to make fun of those people and then they caught on to it and they started worshiping it and he was like well I'm making money I may as well be this and. He, like the jokes, like the, the one that I point to as the clearest example to me. At one point during his set, he would look back and see his shadow and goes, oh, I thought a black guy was trying to run up on me. That's the whole joke. So the entire joke is black people are scary, right, guys? And then an audience full of people who go, yeah, we're terrified of them. They're awful. <laughs> yeah. Like, and that's the reaction, you know? And he has a joke about... uh you know, where he, he refers to, I mean, and this is just straight up terrible about how he refers to, you know, all all brown people of any ethnicity, you know, as I think like carpet riding, like turban wearing. Yeah, it's just, just some really awful shit. And, and the basic joke is that they shouldn't be allowed to have public assembly. Like that's the root of the joke. By the way, by the way. It, yeah. If you word that properly, I will find that fun. Like, if you yeah, go, that would actually be amazing. I don't believe anyone that's a darker color me should have public assembly. Yeah, <laughs> just watch a theater of people. <laughs> I'd fucking be on the ground. If, if you uh, took, here's what's funny is if you took those premises and simply and reworded explain them, them, explain them to you. I hey guys, to don't do you that. find guys? I'm gonna go out on a limb here. Don't you find black people a little scary? Yeah, like not terribly scary. Like I wasn't, ter- but like looking over, I was like, what is that? You know, that would be. I, have, I, I need have, to. I need to write that hour. No, I have. I'm not. <laughs> If you just whittled down the premise of like <laughs> the whittle down premise of the blue collar comedy tour, <laughs> farts hilarious. Yeah, like, gonna, aren't not- they right? Farts, and then like twenty minutes in, be like, remember farts, guys? Remember farts? 
<laughs> That'd be amazing. I, we need to do that with everyone's set. Oh, we just uh, did. We just oh, found a new a great, hobby. That's a great. Uh, that's a great. That's a great bit. To As just a comic, take just well-known bits. Also, we could do. We could do that with Cosby. We could do that with Carlin. Yeah. Like just just their well-known bits, and just like with Carlin, just be like, uh, older people tend to be Puritans, and then ask the whole <laughs> <laughs> like. Aren't aren't word choices silly? Yeah, <laughs> like that's my set. Thing. I'm an alcoholic and I robbed a train. All right, yeah. everybody, good night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've made poor life decisions. Take care, everybody. I have a hard time saying no. The, oh my um, god. The, um, I have not. No, I haven't seen his act. I'm I'm excited. I would. I'm interested. I really like to meet him. I'd like to find out. I would love to. I would love to. That, that's the. Um, I would like to sit down with him. And say, look, here's what I said when I was 25. Let's talk. You got. You have to have some sort of being in the business as long as yeah. you have. You have to. You have to be, have some sort of like, uh, like <clears throat> uh, evolution of your ideas of him a little bit. I, I always believe he seems like I respect his work ethic. You know, I respect the hustle. I respect, you know, the some of the writing. Yeah, but you know, to watch. To watch a guy who's who's hawking junk food also do commercials for like liver pills or whatever it is, and to watch like there's once again he's nailing the he- nail on the head for me. He sure. sells liver well, pills. Well, yeah, Prilosec or whatever it is. Oh, no, that's yeah, Harper. Oh, Harper. Yeah, yeah like I, just the, take just, those too. Just the, but that's what I'm saying. Like the idea of like I'm causing the problem, and here buy the solution from me as well. The support. Getting paid a lot of money for something you believe in is not selling out. And there's a myth in this business that in order to be a true artist, you got to live in a burlap sack. And that's bullshit. You can make money. You can live in a nice home. It can be wonderful. But doing something you don't believe in, that's what selling out is. And we are not responsible as artists for how the world responds to our art. We're responsible to react to that. And we're responsible to understand to understand that maybe – we're not getting the reaction we thought we'd get, you yeah. know. And if people misuse our art and misuse our quotes and misuse, oh, we can't stop that. But what we can do is understand. He went from, and here's where it came from for me. He went from satire to validation. He's validating the lifestyle he was originally making fun of, and it's such hypocrisy that you know that it was hard for me as someone who my comedy. Most of the time, everybody, you know, sometimes just writes something they think is kind of funny. But most of the time, my comedy is about railing about truth and railing about, you know, how I want the world to get better. And there are two. That's, by the way, yeah, that viewpoint for a comic can sometimes be exasperating and exhausting because you feel like sometimes the audience just doesn't give a fuck. I know. They only hear the bit. Like, I, I used to I used to talk a lot about race and I used to yeah. talk about it in a very, a very honest uh direct way but i wanted it to be i wanted it to be so honest that that i and i and it happened a millions of times more than it more than it didn't i wanted it to black people and latino people and and gays to respect me and go that's funny yeah and he's being real you can't fucking deny a guy not saying anything hateful not saying yeah he's talking about his own experiences and this is but what is insane is that you do get the person who just doesn't give a fuck and just yeah. wants to take you down because you said black person. How dare you say black person? And so I stopped. I really said, it's not worth it for me. I had a, I had a kid at a show. Uh, I mean, it is for me just because the only reason I am a comic. 
Yeah. Like, that, I, that I, is, I would have been a teacher I'm only if a I comic, wouldn't. I'm only a comic to get laughs. I swear to God, I realized yeah. that. I was like, I, if I, if I want to... Which I completely a, respect. Right. <clears throat> Which and you kind of got to... I mean, guess, two, there are two schools of thought. There's, there's we got to go ch- out and change people. And there's, we got to give people the ability to forget about the bullshit and just enjoy themselves for a minute because the world's too hard. Yeah. So both of us are coming at it from the perspective of the world's too hard. And your school is saying, we're going to make it easier on you for a couple hours. And my school is saying, like, I'm trying to give you the tools to make it less hard. Yeah. And those are two completely different approaches, but it's still the same root and the same passion. And what kills me is when people, when people go, okay, we're going to make you forget about it being hard by making it harder. I see what you're saying. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. By making it worse. We're going to let you forget about your problems by creating problems for other people. And that's what hurts me, not as a comic, but as a human being. And I had the conversation during the whole Cable Guy stuff. I was doing a show at the New York Comedy Club. uh, And it was a – I was the only white comic on a black show. And there was one comic who was just just laying into me um, about how – how can you say funny is funny and if it get laughs, it's okay – and I'm like, well, no, there's a lot of things that are not okay that might get laughs. And, he, and he's like, no, if it gets laughs, it's okay. I go, all right, I'll tell you what. I'm going to take the stage next, and I'm going to do an amazing joke about raping your sister. How are you going to feel about that? And, and he stammers a little bit, and I go, wait, I'm going to do it in blackface. <laughs> you okay? And it was funny because the other comics were laughing at him now because yeah. now you know his argument is just completely gone. But I was trying to show him like there are certain things. No, there are no topics that are offensive. There are premises that are offensive. When the premise is based on hate, it's it's offensive. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of comics who you know. When I did a uh, Eddie F's podcast and Yoshi was the other guest, and it was the most. Like I, I kept joking around about how I came in this room a good person. I walked in here a good person, and it was the most like if you were to take all the quotes out of context, it was absolutely terrible. But the whole thing was about breaking the shit down. It was yeah. about mocking the racism. It wasn't about adding to it, and that's that's the difference for me at least. It's interesting because, um, yeah, <clears throat> I, uh, yeah, I. I I never really looked at it that way. I, and Yoshi Yoshi is one of my favorite people in the world. I love him. And he, but but you're right. If you take it out of context and you write it down, it does sound <laughs> it's a terrible thing. You should be arrested. <laughs> <laughs> it's like someone said to me the other day. If you if you if you took we were in the car we were shooting and one of, yeah. one of the crew members said, um, if you looked at the text between me and my wife, we'd both. I mean, you p- people would be outraged. Yeah. And. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you something I said one recently that was pretty awful. That uh, um, there was a uh, there was a, a comic who who just won uh, uh, Nick Anthony who just won uh, the final draft script contest um, for you know for a, a sitcom pilot he wrote, and he was talking about it, and you know we're sitting there with another buddy of mine, and and he was saying that yeah you know when i originally wrote the script and cuz there's a lot of racist characters in the script mm-hmm. and it's not that he is ra- it's it's they're they're the bad guys like they're the they're the people who are ridiculous and they're being made fun of and so uh but he said he's like yeah you know and and i read it uh you know in this UCLA writing class i was in and you know it didn't get the response i wanted because there were a lot of you know uh, you know, older Latina women who were very upset, but didn't realize that it was the character that was being a jerk, not the writer. Yeah. And 
you know, and so we're talking about that and he's like, yeah, I should have workshopped it, you know, in front of more people. I didn't, you know, imagine. And my buddy goes, well, don't they watch TV? Like, don't they watch TV? And I, being a total dick, said, well, you know, sometimes it's left on at the hotel while they're cleaning. That's a terrible thing to say. Yeah. But the the point of saying that was not like, oh, all Latina older women are maids. It was the point of making fun of the incapacity for someone who's so who's too dumb to understand that script and to understand yeah. what was going on of the and idea just- of menial labor <laughs> and it was added to. So the point is, again, just the if you well, just take the root of the joke and be like, hey, people who don't have the faculties to blah blah, like it wouldn't be funny. But yeah. that's where the joke came from. Well, it's. It, I think comics also. I, I don't. I don't get offended. Yeah. Like I don't get. I don't get outraged. I don't get upset at any joke. I. I take every joke at for the fact that you're trying to make a joke. It's like you look at yeah. what Natasha went through with the SpaghettiOs joke. I quite honestly. I don't know about this. Oh, uh, she was on New Year's Eve. And not, I don't. I don't even want to. I don't. I, I don't even want to bring it up really too much I can because Google it. because. Uh, because I don't want her to like. I know what it feels like to make a joke and then have people start. I don't know what it's like on that scale. I mean, yeah. she got fucking lambasted. But the true point is, is, she chose not to apologize and said it was a joke. I actually wrote on my Twitter yesterday because I hate this uh, this false apology shit. Yeah. And I, on, on my Twitter yesterday, I wrote because uh, about the the Mitt Romney uh, MSN reporter thing. Do you know about no. that? Uh, Mitt Romney. Um, uh, I guess they uh, he has a black grandkid that was adopted. And on some MSNBC show, uh, the anchor, they were kind of making fun of the idea of a black kid being in the Romney family. And someone was like, which one of these is not like the other? And there was a huge outrage because people love being outraged. And the second the right can pretend to be left, oh, they love it. You know, when they're like, look how racist the left is. And be like, well, what about the whole he was a member of the Mormon church while they denied black people existed. Like, what about that part, you know? Yeah. And so, and that's why it was funny that he now has a black child in his family because he, I mean, when you look at the root of it, that is actually hilarious. The fact that someone who didn't believe that black people were human beings, because that's what the Mormon church believed in the sixties, you know, that he now is a doting grandfather over a black child. Anyway, so, uh, Point being, he was forced to apologize. So on my Twitter, I said, you know, anytime we force an apology, we we give the uh, impression that lying is okay, but opinion is not. It's okay yeah. to have someone else's opinion, and good for Natasha for not apologizing. I don't even know what she said, but good it was for her. it was it was very. I mean, I, I heard it, and I didn't really get outraged, but I don't yeah. get outraged at anything. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll be one of those people that just apologizes real quick. Just oh, I'm. So painfully sorry. My my uh my like marketing thing now and has been for the last six seven years is uh, comedy without apology. Really? And yeah, and the basic idea is I've thought about the words I say. I've thought about this ahead of time. It's fucking dangerous though, because I don't think half the time when I speak, I literally don't yeah. think. I, I mean that's part of. The- but that's because you're naturally funny. That's because but- you can just talk and it could be funny. Like for me, I gotta write ahead of time. Um, my but- best, my best moments are when I'm not thinking yeah. and my mouth's just going. Yeah. And I say and things just that, happens. and I'm like, woo! Even I say, oh, I can't believe I said that. But then you say it, but in that, and in we the, all have that. We all it's have that, that confidence of of not giving a fuck. I yeah. lost it a tad bit in the sense that uh, as I got as I'm gotten older. I, you know, I don't know. I did a casino last night. Yeah. No, two night, two nights ago, and um, and I found I found my act has gotten very kind of like regimented, and like I end up telling, I end up having to tell like three stories, and that's like 
at least 30 minutes of my act. Yeah, because so people I'm, expect it. Or... Yeah, and, so, and I only have like 15 minutes to fuck around. Yeah. And the fucking round is so good that I feel like I slow down the show for my stories. I got to find a way to do stand-up again. I need to get, I need to get, um, I need to get back on stage. I, like, There's a gig in Athens if you want. So. <laughs> Dude. I'm, I'll tell you that story later. Yeah. I've talked about it with uh, before. I'll talk about it when Eddie F does a podcast. Yeah, but that was that was the was that, that the Georgia Theater? That they yep, did? Georgia Theater. Yeah. And that was a case of me not not thinking at all before I made a joke and literally taking chances. That nowadays, this is pre cell phone cameras. Yeah, nowadays definitely get you fired. Definitely get you fired. You have to apologize. I would oh, take chances. All the fucking time. Yeah. Like, I took chances that would, that literally, that was the f- beauty of comedy then. And now it's like, I mean, I know, I notice when I go on stage, 10% of the room is videotaping. Yeah. And, and so you, I always go, try to stop them. I always try to stop you them. You can't. I used to try to stop them. I used to yeah. ask them not to. You can't. You just go, hey, man, they want it. A lot of times they want it and they want it. To hopefully that some fucking guy charges the stage and punches you, or yeah. or maybe you slip up and you say something you won't. But that's part of the part of the thing of being a professional comedian is you go. I've done this a lot. I I can promise you I'm never going to say the n word on stage. I'm not, yeah. I don't say it talking to you in my man cave. I won't say it when the mics are off, only because that that, that word if it gets on your tongue, then it comes out. He, he says it when the mics are off. You have black so sisters. It's I have one black sister. Oh my god. Oh yeah. my god. Which is part of why I thought the whole like the Romney thing was ridiculous because like my sister and I joke around all the time. Like I used to say shit to her. Like I used to say like be careful we kept the receipt you know, like stuff like that. Yeah. And then she's adopted if people couldn't figure that out by Steve the is, idea is that, literally like whiter than powder. <laughs> like, That's who if you I throw uh, him into a if you throw him into a mud puddle, lightning strikes you. <laughs> powder, powder is who I was compared to in high school. Um, I had a great high school experience, I'm, and so can I can I tell you a secret right now? Yeah. Um. So I've never laughed so hard in my life. Yeah. And I hope to God you find this as funny as I do. Okay. Because we were doing that virtual. I I just remembered this. Yeah. There's two things on that virtual comedy tour that made me laugh really hard. First of all, Ben, I th- want to say Ben Glee brought marijuana. And I don't norm. this is a long time ago. Yeah. I think I just had one kid. Yeah. And we got high on that ride to Athens and we listened to Ben Glebe's comedy album. I don't know if you can still get it, but there's the album sucks. His stand-up yeah. sucks. Don't buy it for the album. There is a bonus track on there where he is high trying to tell his friends that he fucked Kohanga from Boy Meets World. Oh, Topanga? Topanga. Yeah. And it is so funny because he can't get through the story because he's so high and laughing. That is one part. The other part is um, I made some joke and then someone said, you know Steve's sister's black. And I think at the time Napoleon Dynamite had just come out. Yeah. and Or maybe. And all I could imagine... Was and in, in the car we were doing this was that your sister was like a three hundred and seventy pound <laughs> black woman, and you were you and she and we, and and that they adopted her and then she ran the house so we were having her going hey Steve Hofstadter get in here and <laughs> and it, we thought we could not stop laughing at your sister calling you Steve Hofstadter as like yeah like, hey Steve as- Hofstadter and then I think I saw a picture of your sister and I was totally let down she she like. She modeled for a little bit. Like yeah, yeah, was, I was very, so let down. Very thin woman. But we laughed so fucking hard in that car. Yeah. And, and Marshall, who is, I would say has been a friend of yours to the, from that day till. I, I've known Marshall. Marshall is one of the earliest friends in comedy. I've known yeah. him since, I think, 03. And Marshall's also extremely, like Marshall doesn't, doesn't, 
he was protecting you, and which made it even funnier because me, yeah. Ben, and Eddie Ift kept going, kept doing the character. Yeah. And I think I was your sister and Ben was you. That's hilarious. And we could not. I would have been dying laughing, by the way, when yeah, that and, was happening. We, like... and, and I, that's where I got the black name. I, I, I said, they said, what's her name? I said, her name's Licorice Hofstetter. Licorice Hofstetter? <laughs> so, Oh and my so god. Ben would be like, Licorice, what do you want? I want shrimp and grits, Steve Hofstetter. Tell <laughs> oh Mama to make them, mother. No, tell Mama to make It was I'm so gonna, much I'm, fucking fun. I'm going to make sure she listens to this. By uh, the way. We laughed so hard, and it was like, there was no, obviously, there's no, but it was just this visual. This and, is actually uh, amazing timing. She's getting married today. By the way, are you serious? Well, she's having two weddings. There's this is the like the small like family in New York wedding, and then she's getting married in Turks and Caicos. And I'm like, I want to come to the one in Turks and Caicos. Yeah, good call. You can have everyone else get married. Enjoy in 10 New degree. York right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I hear it's lovely at this time. So, wait, what's so, your sister do? Uh, so she uh, she's the one of the he- one of the managers at uh, Nobu. Really? Uh, Nobu Fifty Seven in New York. Yeah. Oh, wow. So uh, yeah, so she does. Uh, uh, she kind of runs the floor there. That's great. Which is uh, which was fun to go there and get three hundred dollars of sushi for like a hundred bucks. So, so wait, what was it like having a, a, a almost like um, a minority in the house of what I'd assume were very white people? I can't imagine your parents. Well, we were also also being Jewish. We were she was the minority in the minorities. So yeah. well, we grew up in uh, Briarwood, Queens, oh, uh, which is part Arizona of Arizona for some reason. No, oh God, no! I hate that fucking place. Um, I uh, <laughs> not the whole state, just most of the people who live in it. There are good people everywhere. Yeah, they're just there's just a lot of people's great grandmothers moved to Arizona. So uh, the uh, like we well, one of the things I was saying before is that you know we were like I would tease her for being adopted. I was a, I was a kid, and yeah. then she she's hilarious. She would tease me for not being adopted. Like she would be like, "Look at our family. Y- you have these genes. <laughs> like you can't escape this." <laughs> and meanwhile, our mother, who had no sense of humor, would be like, "You should love each other." I'm like, yeah. "This is how we love each other. This yeah. is how." Uh, and, and so, <laughs> be like, Steve Hoff said, "You you're not adopted." <laughs> That's exactly how she would say it. So. Uh, it, it was well. Jamaica and Briarwood, especially, is Briarwood is incredibly diverse. It's the most diverse part of Queens, which is the most diverse county in the country. And it used to be like uh, United Nations housing, like Parkway Village was founded really? for United Nations kids, and then it just became low income housing. And so there were, you know, most of my friends growing up. You know, I was I had a group of like six. There was like six of us, and it was like two white Jewish kids, a Mexican kid, a Chinese kid. Uh, and a, a Korean kid. Did I count to six? Did what did I... they call you guys? Oh, an Indian kid. The mathletes. Uh, yeah, it was the mathletes. <laughs> um, they didn't call us. That's what happened. It was like a tell joke. They call us the unfuckables. Yeah, <laughs> that's, what, that's what it was. Um, and so, yeah, we, you know, everything was super diverse. So I was just kind of used to it. It was just like, yeah, there's a black person in my family. There's tons of everybody in my, you know, the name, the kind of think... names I had to learn. When I was six, for the for my classmates, yeah, like the you know, like the I, I've known the name Prasanth for a, a very long time. It's a beautiful fucking name, dude yeah. or chick. There is, I uh, both. There was I I knew a Prasanth. Uh, yeah, my my friend Amal's uh, crush was named Velen. Like it just, I mean, these were Whoa. yeah, it was just that's how it worked, dude. I see that's and I think that is I think that is. The thing that needs to be understood when you talk about race in America, yeah. it's simply experiencing diversity. Yes. And a lot of people, and I'll say Florida 
aggressively, I didn't experience diversity at all. Yeah. I knew Cuban kids. I knew white kids. And I, we had one black kid that we hung out with. Yeah. Every group of mine had one black kid. In our neighborhood, it was Chris Colvin. At school, it was Kari Brown. At baseball, it was Andre Kerwin. Like, there was one black kid. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> but it was all Cuban kids and white kids. So there was no diversity. I didn't know any Asian people. And I yeah. had a joke about about Asian people in L.A. that was so honest. I, like, I was embarrassed about it until I realized, oh, maybe a lot of people feel that way. Like, I didn't know Japanese and Chinese people couldn't understand each other. <laughs> really I swear that. to you on my children. <laughs> I learned it with you're just like they're like Americans and Canadians. It's you know. I thought it was like a, t- a New York and 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 Boston. Like hey, back ahead, go fuck yourself. Yeah. I didn't know they were different languages. Yeah. So like when I found that you out, I thought I'm it like, was like an accent. I thought it was an accent or a dialect. Like I, I remember uh, the jo- the joke was when it, I, it. I've told it so many different ways now. The real story was I was with Doctor Ken. Yeah. And we were and there was a, a Japanese person trying to get into the club and i said and he was really upset and i looked at ken and i go what what's he saying and ken goes i don't i don't know i said why not and he said he goes because i'm not japanese i go what he goes i'm not fucking japanese i go you you can tell he's japanese and he's like yeah you can't i was like no it's not like he has a rising sun bandana on yeah, how the fuck that- am i supposed to know <laughs> and then i go well ki- i go kind of what's he saying he goes what do you yeah. mean kind of i go kind of can you pick up some words and he's like no I don't speak the language at all. That's and, hilarious. And so, I, and then I took it on stage at night, and I was, I was like appalled that. But I, it was so true. So but, I didn't know well, diversity. but that's also that's also a, a self-deprecating joke. That's a joke about your lack of knowledge. Yeah. And the there's also I've always been fascinated about the idea of like, oh yeah, they could tell the difference between you know a Chinese person and Japanese person, and oh, white people can't. I could most of the time tell what state someone's from. I can too. You know, I used to play that game. Although I in, think uh, you're from Arizona. Well, that's true. And you look so not Arizona. But there, there's also uh, yeah, I gotta get a haircut. But there's also, <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's different as you get older and as you travel more because you kind of absorb different cultures. But when I was in high school, uh, I did this, uh, you know, high school journalism conference thing because it was in New York and it was free, so I went. And it was so much fun because the states were on the name tags, but you couldn't see that from far away. So I would just be sitting there with with my other buddies, just being like Michigan. Missouri. Oh, that's Utah. Like yeah. just and I'd say probably 60-70% of the time we were right. You get really good at that. I could yeah. tell I could tell uh, European dudes quick. Oh just yeah, by yeah, their yeah. shoes. They always wear yeah. like racing shoes. Yeah. Like the driving and like bright car colors shoes. too. Yeah, and yeah. everything's like, uh, yeah, it's I, just what's yeah, what's I go a size up on that. Yeah, what's okay culturally. Yeah. You know? There are uh, certain haircuts that that helps me with uh, you know being identify identifying someone as like Japanese. There's certain haircuts that are very fashionable in Japan. That aren't in other parts of the world. You and can so tell you Japanese can... people from Japan when yeah. they're here. Yeah, like, well, LA is a little different because it's like the well, like... no one from here is from here, right? So it's <clears throat> yeah, it's definitely tougher. But yeah, gr- growing up uh, in that environment, you know, that taught me to be able to joke about race without there being any hate, without it coming from a bad place, because. I knew what pushed the line. I knew what crossed the line because I, I, and I don't want to be like some of my best friends are. It was like no, everyone I knew was. Yeah, there was a, you know, there's a big difference. It's and and you and you're also taking it from the other side because you do represent white people in general to them. So you'll get yeah. it. So you learn you learn to give it and get it. It's interesting. Now wait, so so I'll, just to track back to your career because yeah. you're someone who's consistently worked. I don't think you've ever not been working. 
Yeah, I used to tour uh, 300 days a year. Um, and it was just one of those things where I realized during that whole controversy, and I don't know, and fill me in if, if I'm wrong, but I don't think I've done anything particularly controversial since. Uh, it's, it's possible. No, that, your name was brought up at, uh, at Montreal. Oh yeah. Well, that was, I well, heard that. I, I don't remember what the context was. Oh, that remember, was, uh, I was like fucking Hofstetter's back in the mix. <laughs> that was actually hilarious. I, I kind of like that because, you know, for me to be the butt of a joke. What was the joke? Do you remember it? Uh, yeah. Do I remember it? Yeah. Do I remember when I was made fun of in front of the entire comedy industry? Yeah. Let me see if I recall. <laughs> uh, let me check my notes. <laughs> Uh, it was Andy Kindler uh, was was trashing Corolla, uh, and yeah, yeah, I've yeah. been a big supporter of what Corolla does for a while, for the last year or two. Um, of just you know, I love the the pirate ship that he's built. You know, I yeah. love the idea of you know clearly to me, you know me enough to know that you know I I love the idea of fuck the establishment, we don't need them, let's do it our way, and people will come to us. Yeah. And I love the idea of crowdfunding also because what crowdfunding does, it gives fans a unique experience while also creating a product that is completely uncensored, which, you know, I, I that both things appeal to me. And some people have this ridiculous idea that crowdfunding is about taking advantage of people. And like, no, it's not. It's offering them things they wouldn't get otherwise. Everyone's thrilled when they're like, wait, I can get Adam Carolla to come into my house. Of course, I'll pay two grand for this. Yeah. Someone's a big fan. Why wouldn't they? And so I was very much promoting that movie and promoting the whole crowdfunding idea. And also, I'm going to be in the movie and it's my first feature film. So why the fuck would I not promote that? Yeah. You know, I'm thrilled to be involved in this thing. And so he, in the State of the Union address, uh, Kindler, who I had actually had, I thought, a pretty good relationship with. So I was surprised I, I at this. Can't remember, I can't remember if it... Yeah, keep going. So first he made fun of me for uh, offering shitty gigs, which is hilarious because the last gig that I offered Kindler was like an $8,000 gig for some synagogue in Seattle. Yeah. So yeah, oh yeah, terrible money. I bet he terrible would money in a synagogue. So he would. I bet he he murder. would. Now I, it didn't work out, uh, but that's my point. Like, yeah, I have also offered people fifty bucks to play a firehouse, but that's for the level of a comic who only makes forty usually. Yeah, and is thrilled to get the fifty. Yeah, you know, and the idea of people getting offended with this gig pays too little for you. Yeah. You know, there are comics who are getting paid nothing right now who need this. Yeah. And, you know, and these are the gigs that we all were thrilled at one point in our career. So get off your fucking high horse. So he made fun of me for that. And then he made fun of me for sending an email to comedians supporting the movie and telling people to submit. Because there are three parts that are open for submission for comedians. And they're not looking for necessarily the most seasoned comedians. So anyone can submit. They're casting a movie. So someone who's an open micer who fits this part could have a tremendous exposure, and that could be a game changer for them. Yeah. And and so he got on me for that, and so I twittered back to him because I'm not I'm not one to to just be like, okay, sure, yeah, go ahead, yeah, just make fun of me. And I actually thought it was cool to be made fun of in front of the entire industry because that means they all know who I am. Yeah, it's uh, tr trust me. I was at one point I was hoping he'd bring my name up. Yeah, every everyone does. It's like in a roast. You want to hear your name get brought up, and yeah. when you hear Burt Kreischer, you're like, I'm getting chills. I'm yeah. I'm this real. This is me. This is me. Yeah. Well, I I I mean, I figured you know he's doing it to be funny. I'd have a sense of humor about it too. <laughs> yeah. So I wrote on my Twitter. I said, uh, I don't care what you think of me. 
Um, I am still a huge fan of your work as Chancellor Tootie Tootie in Wizards of Waverly Place. <laughs> Basically saying, like, don't pretend to be the arbiter of what's selling out. Yeah. You know, you take Disney money. A lot of it. <laughs> so, uh, so then he wrote back and was like, now try a clever put down. And so I was like, all right. I'm I'm a writer. Don't fuck with me. You know, yeah. like I, I'm. It, it was hilarious to me because I'm like, wait, wait, wait. You were just making fun of all of us. So now that I make fun of you, I'm being a dick. Well, here we go. So I wrote uh, a bunch of stuff. One I wrote. Uh, you know, Andy Kindler's career is going well. When I told him I was a fan, and he knew I was immediately being sarcastic. <laughs> and then I said, uh, and and this I don't know if you'll get it because it's a Jewish joke, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, but I said, uh, Andy Kindler is so bitter at a Passover Seder, he just has regular herbs. Because at a Seder, you have to have bitter herbs. Oh, really? That's part of the, yeah. Okay. And then, uh, uh, and then I, I, I ended it by saying, uh, you know, this was fun. Um, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all out of love. I still remain a fan of both of your jokes. <laughs> and so that was something where, and then he kind of took a little bit, and I wrote back, and I was like, dude, I'm kidding. Big hugs. Like, just, we're, we're fucking around, yeah. you know? Like, if you, you take a shot at me, I'm going to take a shot at you, and we're yeah. going to have a good time with it. I, I just met Andy Kindler for the first time, really, that, at, right yeah. before he gave that speech. <clears throat> and uh, I've, obviously, I've always been, I think, I don't think either of us are saying that we're not. I was always a huge fan of his because I love, I love, I just think he's one of those guys that we say that when we go, the comics that we love the most are the ones that you're like, fuck this, I'm taking it down. You well, know? well I, I, I just feel... Um, the, the some of the best advice I ever got in comedy was was something I misunderstood, and uh, <clears throat> or a story a story I got wrong. Uh, Mark Marin, when Ben Morrison was first starting out, um, Marin did a show that he was producing by NYU, and from stage, you know, kind of made fun of Ben a little bit, and the whole audience was Ben's friends. So uh, he was like, oh, I can't make fun of Ben. I can't make fun of Ben. He goes, well, let me tell you something, Ben. You're not going to be truly great until all your heroes make you cry. Now, when Ben told me that story over the years, I had forgotten a little bit, and I for somehow got it in my head of "till all your heroes are dead." That was how I had oh, it in my head. That's interesting. Um, and I, eventually, I talked to Ben about it, and he told me the real story. But what I still take that advice that Mark didn't quite say as the real advice, because what that means to me is when you elevate someone as hero status, you can never achieve what they've achieved because okay. they're in front of you. That's interesting. I I took it the opposite, but the advice that you saw is actually yeah. better. Yeah. The idea of, you know, as long as you elevate someone to hero, you can't elevate yourself. And so when that thing with Kindler happened, I was able to check one more off the list. When the thing with Lewis Black happened, I was able to check one more off the list of, all right, these are no longer people that I need to worship. You know, these That's are people who are human beings and who I disagree with. And that's okay. Yeah. And it, it was just you know one more thing of one more step toward independence as a comic. Uh, it it was it was interesting because I think you got clumped in to the Corolla tirade that he was on. I mean, sure. I mean, he was like, I don't know what I had sent the with- email the day before, and it got forwarded to him. I didn't even send it to him. Yeah. I don't know what I don't know what Corolla did to him, but man, he really well. Corolla had a show that Kindler bombed on twice, so that was really mean of Corolla to do. Is that yeah, to have a show that Kindler couldn't be funny on is really, really mean. To that, I <laughs> By mean, the way, I would I would pay money to watch and I know that I know that Andy Kindler probably doesn't assume this, but I, in my opinion, yeah. watching Andy Kindler 
do good or bad is the same for me. I enjoy watch. It's like the same with Norton. Yeah, I, I like when a comic that I that I enjoy watching yeah. uh, is not having the dream set. Yeah, because those it's more like watching Houdini get out of the fucking yeah. straitjacket, and it's taking him more time, and the and the box fell in the water. Well, Ken, Kenler didn't do well on on Corolla's show two separate times. Really? And yeah, and that was something that you know, and I don't know where this comes from. I don't. I I don't know what. And the, every year he makes fun of someone. This was the first year, and I read the text of the speech every time. You know, I I think it's interesting. Yeah. But every year it's been light and in fun. This was the first year. That he was really like, man, fuck this guy. And then when people were tweeting stuff at him about how bad Corolla was, he would retweet it. Not even jokes. Yeah. Just straight up like mean things. And so that was the that's why I took it as as, oh, this is real. And by the way, the way I found out I was in the speech, I was just reading an article about Montreal. Really? No one yeah. I didn't I which is strange. I would have figured someone would have texted me. But uh which I guess is another compliment, because people didn't figure it was big news. Um, people just figured like, oh yeah, he's making fun of Steve. But um, I, yeah, I was reading an article and it it mentioned it as one of the things, and I was like, holy shit, that's what the fuck? And I was like, I gotta find the text of this speech. No, so what I happened with it. that movie? Did you guys shoot it yet? Uh, no, no, no. I think it starts shooting uh, probably in like a month or two. They're still doing all the production stuff on it. Okay. And I'm not. I mean, I might have a, a line or two in it. You know, I'm not. I'm not here being like, so when are we going to shoot, guys? You yeah. know, I'm just like, call me when it's ready. Um, I but I was just on his show recently, and you know, he's been nothing Who's? but wonderful to me, Corolla. Oh, okay, he's been nothing but wonderful to me, and and I really do admire what he does. And I don't agree with everything he says, but I I like a lot of it, and I you know I I love the way I love the way he says it. It's interesting because Corolla, and I'm not I don't I don't really know much of yeah. of his work only because only because. Uh, him and um, Jimmy, who, by the way, neither of them have ever been bad to me, but yeah. I just knew they didn't like me at a very early age. Okay. Uh, because I, I did a show that was competing with the man show called yeah. The X Show, and I just got hired on it. But they hated anything that had to do with that show because apparently that premise was stolen from them. Yeah, if people... So they're, they're, they're valid reasons to yeah. dislike anyone associated with that. Right. I get it. So I have no real rebuttal, but in my head I was like, I just got fucking hired two years into the show's run. Well, yeah, I mean, and if if you were to hash that out with them, I'm sure it'd be perfectly. I fine. don't think I I can't imagine, and I I know I heard I know Kimmel said, uh, in and I I'm sure this is real, but yeah, uh, Kimmel said on Marin that he holds grudges forever and he never forgives or something. I I, I don't think that you know. I actually think that I, I heard it. All I heard it was like, oh great, that's me. But he, yeah. I've, I've done stand up on his show. He was nice enough to let me do stand up on his show. Uh, he coughed under his breath and said, "Crusher." Yeah, when, yeah. But that's the way every comic hears it. Exactly. I'm sure they don't have any beef with me. Um, but uh, but yeah, but um, but I would say, and I don't, I don't, I just don't listen to Corolla's podcast much, yeah. only because I know that uh, my name's come up a couple times where people have started slamming me, and I don't like, I don't follow, I don't buy. I have not, I have not heard that happen. It's uh, some guy that does his show doesn't like me, and do you know who it is? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Off air, you tell me. Yeah, I'll tell you off air. Yeah. I, so, uh, yeah, I just, I, I've I never, never, I've never heard it happen. Yeah, and so, um, but, but Corolla does have kind of like uh, the same. I would, I would want, I would venture to say the same fan base that maybe Larry the Cable Guy has. Like the same type of people that uh, like Corolla. I would, I would I would disagree with that. I you know I think that uh, Corolla's politics can be toward the right, but you know he he talks. There's a lot that he talks about. You know, in terms of you know I I don't disagree or, or sorry I don't agree with 
let's when just he say that let's just, let's just say I'm I'm not, I'm saying they probably find the same material humorous and they're very fervent fans and I don't like, know I mean the people who really? have the people who have yes like there said, are there know. are bottom of the barrel people who oh, I'm not saying they're bottom of the barrel I'm saying that like no I'm like, saying there are some but when people ever since I did the show I can't do a live stand up show without someone coming up to me and saying hey I heard you on Corolla yeah and those people have been the same demo that I would have normally. Really? Which is, you know, forward-thinking, progressive. I mean... Oh, I never thought of... I people, didn't, he's a complainer. People like, you know, complainers. Yeah. I mean, there's... The the big difference is that, you know, with with the with the Dan Whitney or, or with the Larry the Cable Guy school of thought, because, it's not, again, it's not Dan Whitney for that. It's, you know, it's Larry. Um, it's a very, like, isn't this silly? Whereas Corolla's approach is a lot more of like we got to get in there, we got to fix this shit, we got to you know. So that appeals to I think a different brain. Yeah, I think you're right. I I, I take that back. I guess I don't. I like I, I, I know said, what you're saying. There is a there is a scumbag element to is, any radio personality. No, I, I, I wasn't. Believe. I don't think except Corolla's, Dan Savage. I don't think Corolla's <laughs> got a scumbag approach. But I think no, not him. I mean his fans. I mean there are there are people like I'll say this. I'll say this. Yeah, I think that the. Just this, like Stern. That's my point. Yeah. I think the people that like Stern, the people like Opie and Anthony, the people that like Corolla, the people that like Joe, the pe- like there is this kind of like cult mentality that the fans acquire that yeah. is the same thing that maybe Larry the Cable Guy has. All right. So, I'll, I'll give you that. But I do think that there is a big difference. Like, and if you listen to his stuff, he's he, – I mean he's, he's, he's brilliant. He's so quick. He's so – Dude, I used to listen to him on Loveline. Yeah. My fucking – hands down – the quickest human being to the point where I was like, I just want to sit in a room with this guy. Yeah. This guy fucking is so goddamn quick. And then when I did Love Line for the first time, I was like, I was like, oh my god, the idea that I'm sitting in the seat that he sat in, like, yeah. I was like, this is he mind blowing. He he really is one of the fucking fastest. Me and my buddy Lorenzo would yeah. sit in Lorenzo's car and drop off headshots. That's what Lorenzo did. Yeah, and drive back and take the long. Way I thought you just meant like at like diners, as if like I've no. eaten here. I've eaten here. <laughs> he was a photographer, so he yeah. had to do his drop his proofs off by like eleven o'clock. Yeah, so he drop his proofs off is back when you shot film, and we would take the long way home and listen to fucking Loveline. It was that fucking good. But uh, but yeah, but I, I haven't listened to the show, and so I, I don't I don't really have a. But I do think the fervent kind of like dude like uh, like following. Well, there there is that, but there's also, you know, I mean, the, the people who are calling during my episode, one was like, you know, a computer programmer, and one was like, you know, there's there's a lot of of forward thinking who who do listen to the show, and you know, I I think that there's a lot he said has been misunderstood. Yeah. Like the thing he said about when people are like, oh, he said that women aren't funny. It's like, no, the headline writer said that. The headline writer of the story oh, yeah. said that. He didn't say that. Some some dick who's getting paid, you know, ten dollars an hour to you know to write copy, like that's who wrote it. Whereas what he said, when asked, do you think men are funnier or women are funnier? He basically said, I think average, you know, I think on average men are funnier. I think you're it's easier to find a funny man. There are funny women, you know, but I think there are more funny men. And if you were to choose between one of the two, which he was asked to do, he didn't just come out and be like, just so you know, fuck yeah, these bitches. Yeah. Like, that's not what happened. And it was funny because when I was promoting the movie, I would find uh, that where people would be like, 
female comics would write back and be like, well, he's not going to put me in the movie because he hates women. And I go, you know his co-host is female, right? Alison Rosen's one yeah. of my favorite human beings. I've done her podcast, and I've had her on She's my great. podcast. I fucking love her. Yeah. The, I mean, the, uh, the, she is amazing. Yeah. So anyway, uh, you know, point being that uh, I took a lot of shit from that, and, and that's fine. Yeah. And, you know, I find that most of the time the comics who don't like me are the comics that I don't hire. And that's really what it breaks down to. You know, I have comedy clubs. I have stages I control. I'm doing one of your comedy clubs tours. soon. You are. You're doing Morty's. I just bought a uh, caravan in Louisville. I want you there too. Yeah, um, I, I'd we'll, love we'll to figure that out. Yeah, you'll like you'll like Morty's. It'll be everyone's it'll be fun. talked. Yeah, everyone's told me how great Morty's is, and I think I'm doing it. I want to say I'm doing it like the week before my book comes out. Oh, excellent! Well, yeah, I'm gonna, we'll, I'm, yeah. gonna I'm gonna I'm going to rack your brain about marketing ideas for my book. Oh hell so yeah! If you have any ideas, I'm not very good at that stuff. Shut up! Uh, so shut the fuck well, up. Well, the uh, I, I mean that's where a lot of the party lines are. Like I've found comics who submitted to a club that I've then passed on, and they'll send me like just a vitriolic, vitriolic email about how shitty of a human being I am. I'm like, well, if you thought that, why did you apply for this work? You know, or are you saying that because I didn't give you work? Would I have made myself a nice person if I paid you money? Yeah. Would that have you know? And now who's the fucking sellout? Like the the idea that, you know, and again, it goes back to binary. And I love comedians. They're my favorite people. And I hate comedians because the comedians that understand that this business is about having a good time and enjoying yourself and, and making Sounds a difference like and, and, and being original. Oh, I'm yeah. I am yeah. describing you, Bert. <laughs> I've always liked you. You know, no. that was one of those things where you were the only one on that tour that I didn't know ahead of time. And Marshall called me up, was like, I've got a guy who'd be a perfect fit for this. And that's when we started talking. And immediately yeah. I was like, I like this guy a lot. Yeah. Because you were always someone who was just enjoying himself and you weren't caught up in the bullshit. You know? I, it's, 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 a, it's a blessing and a curse. I don't, I don't get caught up in the bullshit. I don't really have – I don't really – think negatively of a lot of people so i yeah i always think i want everyone to be my friend i want everyone to like me um and i just want to have a good time but then the fucking then that then people just think you're disingenuous well like, i, I would know. love everyone to like me and I want it, everyone to like it me. would be it would be very enjoyable. i want adam crow to call me right now and go i've been a big fan for a long time i wish that i could have told people this but I can't. Yeah, I, can't, I just can't say <laughs> I it. I can't say but, it. It's hard. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> I want, I, I really would love to have Larry the Cable Guy on the podcast. I'd love for you and Larry Cable, the guy to meet. I would, the only time we've ever interacted at all. And from what I understand, uh, from people in his camp, when it first came out, he thought it was funny. He thought it was, you know, same way you get roasted. Great. Yeah. And then the second week, it outsold his. R- and then he really? didn't find it funny anymore. Really? Just one week. And, you know, he's sold, you know, millions and millions and millions of copies. But that week, uh, he was in the top 20 the week it came out, and I was 22. And then I went up to number 20, and he went down to like 26 or something. And that's when it stopped being funny. Because that made... I, and I think that's true for a human being. I mean, that makes you realize, holy shit, a lot of people will agree with this. This yeah. isn't just one guy making fun of me. This is, this is, this is a lot of human beings saying we don't like you and that's gonna hurt someone's ego the only time we ever interacted on the kid chris show in philly where we both got sandbagged uh which i can't complain about because i thought i was sandbagging him i thought i thought i was sandbagging him so i can't complain that they fucked me too um but basically they said 
they call me up. They said we have to interview him. <laughs> By the it's, way, I'm I know Kid Chris, and I'm I'm yeah. enjoying this so much more. Oh really? Oh yeah, yeah. I met yeah. him. I'm, we we uh, I did a show. He was in Cincinnati now, I think. And uh, I did a show in Cincinnati. I had a fucking yeah. really good time. But I didn't, but I was excited to meet him because I you know yeah. known who he was for a while. So keep going. Well, I uh, I only know this side of him. Um, <laughs> they they call so they called me and they said, "Hey, we're forced to have him on the show because he's a big star and he's doing press for his movie." Because my album, with no knowledge at all, album dates get set six months ahead of time. Yeah, my album came out the same week as his movie, what movie? as uh, Health Inspector. Larry the Cable Guy, Health Inspector. Okay. So in every review of his movie, they panned it and talked about my album. Really? Yeah. Which is part of, I think, what pissed him off. But he couldn't do an interview for years without someone bringing it up to him. Because this was, I mean, this was a, a big deal. There was an article in The New Yorker where they asked him about it. And he said, I was just being mean. And his manager said that I was trying to make a quick buck. So I wrote in and I said, why doesn't he fly his private jet over to my wet bedroom apartment? And we can talk about who's trying to make a quick buck. And that was the last I heard. But uh, so Kid Chris show, they had to have him on. And so they called me up and they said, hey, we'd love you to take him to task. We can't or we'll get in trouble. You know, but we got your back and, you know, let's let's do this. And I was like, okay. So they go, they interview him. And then they ask him about my album. And he's like, ah, I don't really want to talk about that. Or, you know, however, whatever, whatever fake accent he used. And uh, they said, well, we've got Steve Hofstetter on the line. Steve, is there anything you want to say to him? And just, like, left me out to fucking dry. Like, this is all you, Steve. Because before they brought me on, they basically, like, apologized to him. And they were like, you know, we've given you some shit, but we actually kind of like what you're doing and good for you and blah, blah, blah. So now I'm the only dick. Steve Hofstetter's spitting blood over here. You ready, Steve? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Get him. (laughs) Yeah. And so I asked him, I said, you know, how does it feel to go from satire to validation? And he said... You know, uh, he, 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 he actually started off with get her done. He started off by saying that. And then he, he told me, you know, he kind of brushed off my question. And then I said, well, you know, Bill Hicks had a great quote about comedy where he said, you know, the comedian is the guy who says, wait a minute, as the consensus forms and you're building the consensus. So, you know, just I'm just curious what you think about that. And he was like, well, you know, I, I knew Bill Hicks and I want to be like, no, no, no. Dan Whitney knew Bill Hicks. Bill died long before you ever did this. You know, I wanted to say all that, but I couldn't because he just kept talking. And then, you know, I kept trying to, and it was fucking nothing. And then at the end of it, he said, get her done and hung up. And that was, that was it. You know, uh, he, he bookended the conversation by saying, get her done on both sides. Sounds like my wife. And that was, <laughs> I swear to God, <laughs> oh, He's, I, uh, I, 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 I hope you're less attracted to him. No, I'm, I'm, I, I've never, I've never really had an interaction with him. I, I've eaten his potato chips. I've worked the Omaha Funny Bone. Yeah, he sent me a message saying, you know, next time in Omaha, I'd love to yeah. hang out or meet. And I was, I was like, fuck yeah, I would love to sit down with him. And I would. He's, I don't think he's a bad guy. I think he's a, like a the regular. The first dude. thing I would do if I sat down with him, the first thing I would say is, I'm sorry. Really? I'm not sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for any pain it may have caused him. Well, that's. I think as a comic, you also go. That's the one thing you go. It's so fucking hard to get successful, and 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 people may. I, I'll defend him in this sense. People go with the Dan Whitney versus Larry the Cable Guy. Yeah, that was happening at a different stage in comedy when yeah. you could be uh, Hamburger Jones or, or and that <laughs> sold tickets. I'm not. I'm not shitting on Hamburger Jones or Larry, but I'm saying that's how it worked. You'd call yeah. the radio stations as a character, and then you could make money as that character. Hamburger Hofstetter, by the way, never took off, which is Hamburger. very frustrating because Hofstetter is a German name. Hamburg, Germany. Yeah. I would have figured it'd be a natural fit. But you Nothing. look at like the majority of black comics. I mean, you know, uh, 
Damn Fool is a very funny yeah. comic, but you know he's got a name and a persona. You, Bruce I always, Bruce. I always joke around that I'm I never hire anyone at my clubs without a last name. I worked with a guy named Alabama, and yeah. and, and there's a comic in Atlanta called Food Stamp. Food Stamp. Food Stamp. Um, I be, I bet I could guess what his first joke's about. <laughs> but stamp I'm not, collecting. But I'm not talking shit about Food Stamp because let me tell you something. Something tells me Food Stamp could kick my ass. Yeah. But like, there's a I worked with a comic in 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 Florida named Wode. Wode. Yeah. And so like there is that style of comedy and and you could and it could be argued this far in in that you know yeah and there's you there, know Cedric the Entertainer is an example Cedric the Entertainer. of someone who you know I joke about that last name thing I would happily consider the entertainer his last name. You yeah. know, but I you know I I do I do understand what you're saying but there's also I'm not a fan of hackery in any regard. Okay. And there's something in comedy I refer to as blahack, which is just B-L-H-A-C-K. Blahack. Uh, which is the, the concept of, like, you know, the, the beat your kids. Like, yeah. what? C- come on. Like, say something new. There are, like, half of the most brilliant comics that exist have been black comics. You know, the, the legacy of before prior, Dick Gregory. Who I'm, I get to open for this summer, by the way. Oh. Great thing about owning clubs. So uh, I get to I get to drive with him from Louisville to Indy, uh, and my dad's a huge Dick Gregory fan, so I'm flying him out to do it with us. Oh wow! So to put my dad in the car for two hours. My dad saw him when he was an undergrad at Queens College, so uh, which which was short lived because he never graduated. So <laughs> short amount of time. I was like, that's got to be a brief window, wasn't it? So was that in the fall? Uh, yeah, exactly. Which which uh, yeah. Uh, which class was that, Darren? So um, the idea of you know of of hackery, there's there's brilliance from any any group of comics. You know, there are brilliant Latino comics. You know, you don't have to do the whole you know setup in English, punchline in Spanish. You don't have to do like the that pattern. You can break free of that. You know, there's hackery for white comics. There's hackery whenever we, because we run a couple comedy festivals. And the thing I always say in all in all the emails beforehand when I talk to the comics about what material, you know, because everybody's like, oh, what should I do? There's industry. And I say, okay, we know that men and women are different. We understand that masturbation can, can make you sad. And we know that pot makes you hungry. And we're fucking tired of it. Yeah. You know, we're tired of it. We want to hear something new. We want to hear what makes you a human being. And that's what makes you a comic. At least I think so. Now, what about what about this theory? Yeah. What about because, and, I, and I'm only trying to figure this out. But like, what if I what if you were told yeah. that if you simply had more prominent horn rim glasses, your point could come across clearer? So, so you'd have to before every show throw on these stage glasses. But you noticed that when you did it, you fucking destroyed like you'd never because all of a sudden all your points were a tad bit clearer. Okay, because um, you see that you do see that in all in the alternative scene a lot. Yeah, you see people putting on a little bit of a costume, like like you know like well these are my New Balance sneakers and I got my sweat coat. It is this. It is theoretically. I don't have a problem with a character. I don't have a problem with people doing a character. But what if like that's Mudbone where was a character? What Mudbone Richard was oh, yeah. Richard Pryor character. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, and and I don't have a problem with people being an exaggerated version of themselves. I mean Hedberg on stage was a character. He was I, see, a. I always wondered. He if was it a wasn't. bit like that. I didn't know him personally. Yeah, I didn't. This know. is just from a, a friend of mine. Open for him a lot, and he was he was somewhat like that. 
You know, like the, one of my favorite stories about him was that this security guard kept coming up to bug their hotel room. And finally he just goes, how much would it take for you to go away? Yeah. Like just a very, you know, Hedberg cadence. Like that's yeah. how he talked. But, you know, I, I think a, a lot of us are exaggerated versions of ourselves. For me, the character just needs to be honest. You know, that that's what appeals to me about comedy. And Hedberg's, you know, one of my favorites. But um, I understand what you're saying. And in fact, Marshall Childs was someone who helped help determine the way I do dress on stage and and I do dress in real life the you know these glasses and and th- that I've been wearing oh god this they're is the same pair they're understated they're they're understated but they're still they're still me they still fit me as a person you know yeah. and it's not going to help the listener if I take them off right now to show you the difference. But for you to see, I mean, I'm a very – I think I'm, I come across very differently without these. You look and, like you might be able to play basketball without the glasses. I know. Isn't that weird? Isn't yeah. that weird? Um, I still need you to do, do You do look uh, – that's interesting. Just taking off your glasses, you looked more athletic. Yeah, isn't that weird that it's the, the Superman Clark Kent thing. You make fun of it, but it's still – you know, yeah. it's like, yeah, it does change a person. I also used to wear, I mean, shittier, cheaper glasses when I grew up, you know, really poor and couldn't afford. And I was like, well, these are $20. That sounds good. So uh, that includes the prescription. It's dangerous, probably, to pay that little for glasses and then probably. drive an automobile. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he helped advise me of like, you know, look, you've got you've to gotta, you've gotta dress like you speak and you don't right now. And that was more of just I couldn't afford it. Yeah. And so I wear black on stage all the time, but I wear black every day. My closet, uh, I've had comics joke with me that my closet must look like Superman's closet and that it's just, you know, hangers of the same outfit. That's so that's all I wear. I thought you were going to say my closet must look like the Amistad. It's the... <laughs> Yes, only a lot of black things in my closet um, that are hung. So, oh, shit. <laughs> I, I didn't, I you didn't, didn't even take it that far. There. Fair enough. <laughs> like, so, licorice is going to be so offended. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, I, I find that you do need to encapsulate a persona on stage. You need do need to dress, but you also need to respect the stage in that. You yeah. know, I always make fun of the comics who will, you know, show up in in cargo shorts, and I'm like, was this summer camp? Like you're on st- you're on a stage. Yeah. People paid money to see you, and I understand people aren't dressing up to see us anymore like they used to. But uh, I think you do need to respect the stage to a degree. And I think going back to your original question, having a persona I think is fine. It's just understanding how that persona is being taken. You know, if if my jokes about, you know, if my jokes about how, you know, I I do a bit where I tell a story about. I uh, about a girl in high school that my friend wanted to try to set me up with and she never existed and you know there was no like he just made her up and and there was no picture of her anywhere and there was no you know blah blah and I tell this whole story and it's it's weird and people are like where's this going and then at the end of it I go and now that I finished telling that story let's talk about God <laughs> and so if atheists were then to use that to persecute religious people that's my fault and I need to deal with that do you see what I mean yeah I had a joke I had a joke about uh, being in an airport bar. And a black guy making a racist joke to me, and I and I thought, how cool is this that you know? The jo- I think I've I've done a version of it since, yeah. but uh, a black man and a white man can commit a hate crime together. And then I realized he was being racist, and I was like, what makes him think my racism stops at Middle Eastern people? Like if I'm yeah. racist, I I what am I a cafeteria racist? I pretty much hate everyone. Like oh, like the idea it was a so it was an anti Middle Eastern joke. It was an anti Middle Eastern then... joke, and I laughed, and then I went, oh my god, I just laughed. What makes him think? 
that what if that was a test? What if it, like, <laughs> yeah, now he knows I feel yeah, If I hate, if I, if I, and I was just laughing because that's what you do when people tell you a racist joke. You just don't want to confront them and go, "Hey, man, yeah. let's t- let's dial that shit back." I've got to stop confronting. Um, yeah. I <laughs> really. I had a shuttle driver once in an airport. Dude. The second they find out you're a comic, holy shit. I oh, try to God. hide it. I try to hide it. I try not to tell them. There was one. And the, the most awkward part of this was that this was, you know, years and years ago when I was single. And there was like this cute girl. And we were talking while waiting for the shuttle and getting along really well. And so then we're talking about – she's asking me about stand-up. So he overhears this and goes, oh, you're, you're a comic? And I'm like, yeah. And so then he goes, oh, I got this great joke for you. And starts – and it's immediately racist. And I was like, hey, dude, that's not – that's not my thing. And then he goes, all right, all right, well, one more, one more. And the joke starts out. So these two spicks, and I'm like, whoa, what the fuck, man? And and meanwhile, now I'm in a fight with this guy. <laughs> Is he looking in the rearview mirror? What, are they in here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> None of them are here, right? And so uh, now I'm, like, in a fight with him, and suddenly the whole, like, casual flirtation vibe is completely Just, gone. See, what I do in those situations is someone tells me a racist joke. Yeah. I mean, I kind of... I kind of I don't laugh, yeah, because I think that is kind of impl- imp- imp- impl- implicit. Yeah, it's, implicit. it's validation for them, yeah. and so I go, oh, okay. Like I'll just yeah. give like a. Well, solid, that's a like, thing that you did. You yeah. said words. Like I had someone very recently tell me about they were uh, going off on gay dudes and how gay dudes that they just can't understand that and like and you 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 want to tell me you were born that way. And in my head, I'm like, this is such a fucking loaded argument yeah. that I could literally convince it's like, no, no, you. No, no, no. They chose to go through this. Yeah, they, they chose yeah. it. And I'm, and I'm, but I'm in my head, he's going on and on, and I'm just in the back, like, this isn't my time to. I'm not going to change this guy. It was yeah. me and him in a car, and I just was like, yeah, oh, you know, yeah, that's it. I like I just kind of, like, hey, uh, you hungry at all? You want to stop for something? <clears throat> I'll join you in a second. You go, you go ahead, and just yeah. fucking floor it. And I just was like, I was like. Because all I can think is, I remember Patrice told me that uh, this is. I'm not saying that yeah. Patrice did this or thought this way or felt this way. Yeah. But I remember Patrice and I getting into an argument one time in Scotland about gay dudes choosing to be gay, and I remember saying to him, "That's impossible because that means that you could be talked into sucking a dick." And I think that's other comics' jokes. Yeah. Uh, and I'm almost certain that Nick Griffin has a joke very similar to that. Yeah. But I remember Patrice and I getting into that argument and going, "No, no, no, no. Like I couldn't. You could not talk me into being gay. Like you couldn't." trick me with a like a magic trick like the yeah the dog whisper and i'm like Tss. or I'm pay like, me or yeah. yeah and so but uh, but i i just kind of blow it off like oh yeah yeah uh but but i think i'm got that frat boy meathead look where people believe that they're like i know this guy they yeah. read the audience wrong and they yeah. look at me and they're like you're gonna get this meanwhile i'm super active in my fraternity still even to this day what fraternity uh so yeah. oh oh okay ATO. Uh, I have a bunch of ATOs coming over here. Oh yeah, yeah, a bunch of ATOs and Lambda Kaiser coming over today for because uh, we're all in town for the BCS game. Oh, nice. And so, and if you're listening to this, I'll post this. I will be in. Uh, I'll be in Paris when I post this. Um, but so you will already know the outcome of the game. You'll know that I was I wasted a thousand dollars, or <laughs> or it was the greatest experience. Or it was the greatest thousand dollars I've ever spent. I got to go to an FSU game when I was working the zone in Tallahassee before it uh, before it got frittered away. What frittered away? What happened? I uh, I think there was I don't know if it was drugs or gambling or something was wrong. Um, Any business but, in Tallahassee's got to be a tough business to uphold. Yeah, yeah. Well, but what was crazy? I mean, they were packing them in in there. Like really? I, well, I actually had the I had the attendance record, uh, and then someone broke it, and then I broke it again because I was just you know I play colleges a lot, so doing a 
kick in Tallahassee was pretty easy. I can't. But I'm, 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 I'm making a stereotype already. Yeah. That having gone to school in Tallahassee, and I'm not shitting on us. Yeah. But I know the mind frame. I'm actually playing Tallahassee uh, in a week. Really? I'm doing the Bradfordville Blues Club. <clears throat> but like, who comes in? It's is it like frat boys? No, no. It's <clears throat> here's it's the like thing. Theater students. There's. Uh, I mean, there's a combination, you know, but at the same time, like, I've always done well with the exception of the rule, which is why Louisville is a huge market. For me, that's why Atlanta is a huge market for me. Bloomington, Indiana, you know, it's it's the places where people are, the people want to get away from the ignorance around them. And so in a town like Tallahassee, yeah, there's a huge party mentality, you know, but at the same time, there's a ton of people who just happen to go to school there. Who are like I'm underserved right now, you know. Yeah, and, see, and I would my entertainment there. options are underserved. I would go there and serve the overserved. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, overserved in two definitions of the word. I, I would I would find the yeah. lowest common denominator yeah. and hammer them until they were like, I love him talking about his dick. Like- nice. <laughs> I made the mistake of driving through Tallahassee once during A and M's homecoming. And I was going wow. to I was going to stay in a hotel that night. I was just rookie going mistake. from like rookie mistake. I was going. I think I was going from like Orlando to Pensacola or something like whatever it was. But I was like, oh, I'm just going to stay in in Tallah- Tallahassee. Maybe I'll maybe I'll hit one of the bars, see if I can have a cocktail, meet yeah. someone. And uh, and I drove through, and it wasn't even the homecoming people that scared me. It was the cops. I drove in, and on that like main strip, whatever it was, T- Tennessee Street. There were probably 3,000 police officers. It is. And I looked around and I go, if they need 3,000 police officers, I'm not getting out of my car. It was. It is intense. For those of you that don't know, what happens on FAMU homecoming weekend is uh, literally, it's, I want to say it's always an away game for Florida State. Yeah. And, uh, and a lot of those kids will leave the city that weekend. And it, yes. and it is. And FAMU takes over the Florida State campus. And it's not. Like it's funny because not just campus, but the bars specifically Tennessee Street is overrun, and but it's it's it is just well, it's like it's back, and this is back. I used to do go it, it, like back when Freaknik was big, yeah, and it was like Freaknik in Tallahassee, and it just it's like turns into a party weekend. It and, is such a party, and also like the when you put that much police out there, you treat people like animals; they're going to act like animals. Yeah, and you know the same way that like the more and more. You you fence off uh, you know baseball fields and you fence off you know arenas. The more people are going to act like animals in a cage. Yeah, because uh, you're building that. And, and, so, and I will say I've never I never had a bad experience at, yeah. f- at f- and family weekend and I and family homecoming and I've been I I sit, probably drove down Tennessee Street and yeah. was around there my whole college career. I never had one negative interaction yeah. with any of the people that went to family ever. Actually, the total opposite. However. When you do see that place, just when you see one race take over something, yeah. there's got this like be it Latino, Asian, there is this like or even white people. Like or, if you're if you're imagine how scary it would be to be on vacation in like Thailand and then just see twenty thousand white people descend. Twenty thousand Swedish people. Yeah, and you're just like, whoa! Like something's wrong. Something's wrong. Yeah, like, I don't know what's gonna happen, yeah, but Australians, something's gonna happen. Go down to Bali and just see like. 40,000 Australians and you're like, "Oh god, this I'm going to get punched." Yeah. Like it's it is the that is the mentality, but it's that's interesting that you picked that weekend. That's almost- I didn't I didn't pick it. My schedule picked it and I was just <laughs> passing through. 
Um, but that's the cool thing about being a comic. You just see a, a whole bunch of shit all over the place. By the way, a, a, a story that I, I started telling completely forgot, uh, the whole idea of like people misinterpreting things as racist or as, you know, I used to do a joke about, um, about an Arab cab driver that I had who was racist against black people. And he was telling us awful things about black people. And I was making fun of the idea that in this day and age to have an Arab cab driver have the balls to be racist, to get pulled out of line at the airport being profiled and saying, I hate racism. The only thing I hate more than racism is black people. Yeah. So that was the joke. Yeah. I tell that joke at a college, 500 students. One kid's not really listening. He hears me in an accent also. Here's me saying, the only thing I hate more than racism is black people. That's all he hears. He doesn't hear the five fucking minutes of setup where I talk about my sister, where I, talk, where I go through the whole thing about how much I hate racism. And he stands up wanting to fight me. And just like, just like man, I'm you know, like, fuck you, man. Stop saying that shit. And I was like, dude, I'm on your side. Yeah, you need to I'm listen. telling people why not to be racist, and you're showing them why they should be. Like, you are undoing everything I've been trying to do up here. And, you know, thank, thank God there were 500 people that were with me. Otherwise, I would have I gotten killed. But <laughs> it was just, it, it, a lot of people here, you know, they hear that with religion. The second I mention the word Jesus, you know, oh, don't you talk about Jesus. I'm like, but I, you don't, what if I say I love him? Well, there's very few comics that do that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Especially Jewish ones. We're not that are like huge although, fans. Although I did see Roy Scovel do his uh, this his this bit that made me on, I was on the fucking floor. Yeah, we were in San Francisco at uh, the Knob Hill Masonic Auditorium. Yeah, and uh, he was doing this Christian comic bit. Like it's I'm really proud of them for bringing in a Christian comic into a town like san francisco where you guys are bathing in sin like it was <laughs> I, it was so f- i'm not that's not what he said but that is the, the yeah. bit he did and i freaking i loved it i loved it he roy scoble has my favorite joke and i'm not even going to tell it because i want people to see it but he's yeah. when he talks about abortion and he talks about the left versus the right i've never laughed so fucking hard rory is my biggest regret in comedy why um because so i've now owned morty's for three and a half years yeah, and before that, I was booking other stuff, and I was booking tours, and I've turned down thousands of comedians because mm-hmm. I've had to. The the way the math works, fifty two weeks a year, there's nothing you can do. And there are a ton of comedians that I've turned down and said you're not ready yet. That I've then worked with the following year or whatever it is. Rory is someone who came to us when he was transitioning between feature and headliner, which is right before he blew up, and that's how he pitched himself, which I think was the first, mis- which was his mistake because. That makes me think, okay, you're a feature who's trying to move up that's not ready yet. And the clip wasn't great and didn't really reflect who he is as a comic. And I said, you know what? He's funny, but I just don't think he's there yet. And I was wrong. And that's the only... I'm very proud of myself that that's the only one I look at and go, man, was I wrong. Yeah. And you know, there, there are plenty others that I passed on that I'm like, yep. Yep, still pass. And there are plenty of others that I pass on, and I'm like, yeah, he's funny, but, you know, so are a lot of people. Yeah. Rory is my biggest regret, and I've told him that. I, I sent him an email saying, you're fucking hilarious, you're awesome, and I'm so sorry I didn't see it as soon as everybody else. He's one of That was a really amazing show that I was on, and Rory was one of my favorite people. I mean, everyone was my favorite. I loved every comic that was on that show. I laughed yeah. hysterically, but Rory had one joke that I just, I can't, I hear the punchline in my head over and over again and it's my favorite thing about comedy. Yeah. When you just hear the punchline over and over and, and it just makes you laugh every time the same way because you hear them say it. I yeah. fucking love it. Um, 
so what's so what's what's on the horizons for for you for for team like Hofstetter. i know you have a fucking goal list i know you've got i i'm not as methodical as some people think i i i tend to throw a lot of pasta at the wall and just see what sticks. i'll tell you why you're fun is you are opinionated thank you you are you are um you're not afraid like i'm i'm definitely afraid to share opinions about especially about people only because i like because I want everyone to like me. It's my yeah. it's my flaw. Like I, if if we get drunk, I'll tell you what I fucking think about people. But especially in a form like this, I get kind of you know like uh, yeah. But I like that you're opinionated. You know where your viewpoint is. You're not scared of. You're not scared of. Of you're fearless, especially when it comes to the business. You know, and and I think that is enjoyable to watch. Is like I don't give a fuck. I'll do it my way. And you can judge me, and you can think one way, and you can think this, but I'm going to do it my way because if I do it your way and I fail, I'll fucking resent it for the rest of my life. Well, I and and thank you, and that's something that you know I I I heard that quote from Letterman told Seinfeld when he was preparing for Seinfeld or the Seinfeld Chronicles as it first was. Yeah. Um, he said, "Do you have any advice?" And Letterman said, "Do it your way because if you fail, you need to be able to live with yourself." And I learned a long time ago that that people are not going to be happy in, unless they're part of something. And so people are always going to find reasons to tell me why I'm wrong and tell me why I suck and blah, blah, blah. And I just need to know I need to be a good person. I need to, you know, some great advice is lead a good life so when you look back on it, you enjoy it a second time. And I've never, I've never conned anybody out of money. You know, I've never, I mean, I am honest to the penny. I believe stealing a penny is the same thing as stealing a million dollars. Yeah. It's it's a lack of trust. And, you know, I've had gigs cancel on comics that I booked them without notifying me and I've paid the comic out of my pocket. Like I will I will always do what I believe is right and I believe that business is what you should do, not what you can do. Mm-hmm. You know, and as long as I live that way, <laughs> fuck it, there's nothing else you can do. And, you know, sometimes I'll have to cry myself to sleep and develop an eating disorder, you know, but aside from that, I'm doing fine. Um, and luckily, I, I have you know, a very supportive wife. And my dogs are incredibly supportive. As um, long as I keep <laughs> feeding them. They're big fans. Um, so what's next on my horizon? Um, you bought, just bought the Comedy Caravan. bought Comedy Caravan in Louisville. We're renaming it to the Laughing Derby at Comedy Caravan. Because the Caravan brand has been a bit outdated. You know, it's, it's time has it. passed. Um, it's just it's a little bit stuck in the 80s. Okay. Um, and, you know, a lot of neon colors, a lot of, you know, I'll be there for like the that. Kentucky Derby this year. Uh, well, come by. I will. We, I will. We'd be happy to have you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's that's something. And we're getting a lot bigger comics than they've been getting lately, you know. Um, as much as it was wonderful that they were giving a lot of features their first shot at headlining, you know, let's, let's get some guys who know what they're doing. Um, the big thing I'm doing is, and obviously the other clubs, I'll club, I'll plug them quickly. Laughing Devil in New York City, which you know, 14 beers on tap and 45 seats. It's a really fucking fun place to watch a show. Uh, Whoa, where yeah. is that? Uh, Long Island City. So, which not Long Island, and I fucking hate that it has the same name, but it's the corner of Queens, Brooklyn, and Manhattan. So it's one stop from Grand Central on the seven. Really? Yeah. So was that that little island? Uh, no, no, no. It's one pet. That's Roosevelt Island. That's impossible okay. to get to. Uh, that's a blight on New York. But uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. They're wonderful people. <laughs> They're wonderful people. Just sometimes the train doesn't run there and you can't get home. So great, <laughs> great place to live. Oh, but it's so affordable. And that's why. Uh, oh, and they closed the bridge too. So um, no, it's, uh, it's uh, basically just south of Astoria. 
It's one neighborhood south of Astoria. It's just north of uh, Greenpoint, Williamsburg from Brooklyn. So it's in between all the hipsters. Room. It's a great room. Uh, anytime you want to come when you're in New York, anytime you want, you let me know. Uh, happy to have you. Definitely. God, that would be fun as fuck. Yeah, and it's it's a great room to just try shit. Yeah. Because, you know, there's a lot of experimentation going on. It's 45 seats. So with 20 people, it's packed, you know? Yeah. Um, and obviously Morty's in Indianapolis as well, uh, which you'll be at soon. But what's what's for me... I want to fucking find my date. ...is... Uh, if I think it's I think it's like early summer, late. Oh, it's spring. right before my book comes out, so it's like it's uh, May. Yeah. If I think it's before May, right before May. Okay, cool. Well, we'll definitely have you. I mean, Bob and Tom is is an indie, so you yeah, know, I love Bob and hopefully Tom. Uh, do some press there. And the the big thing for me, February fifteenth, shooting a TV special, crowdfunding it. Um. So if anybody is into, it's called Ginger Kid. So if anybody enjoyed the last hour and a half or so. Uh, if you go to supportcomedy.com, um, that'll forward you right there and, you know, kick in a buck or that buck's friends or, you know, whatever you want to do. And Speaking and, uh, of crowdfunding and bucks, I was yeah. going to try to crowdfund me purchasing the Buccaneers. Oh, that's hilarious. Like, like be like real, like, look, I'm not, I, I want to buy the Buccaneers, but I don't have $100 million. I got involved with a group that tried to kind of do that with a sports team because you can't, like you can't actually they're changing the laws now you can you can actually do something where where you can sell a product and you can buy uh shares of a product but with crowdfunding right now you can just buy experiences the person actually owns the product but they were trying to do this thing where they were trying to buy uh start with a minor league team um but the idea is get people to donate in exchange for a vote like you have a vote and so it's a fan run team Wow. And so so the idea is that every major decision is just put to a vote. It's all online. You go, you know, do we do we change the uniform color? Do we trade this guy? You know, blah 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 and just everybody votes and whatever. I was I was thinking I was thinking it would be just great to like I'm I want I maybe I could, maybe I couldn't, maybe I could raise a hundred million dollars by the bucks and then go, guys, I'm gonna run this team into the ground. But it's going to be just as fun watching the games as watching me fucking be the owner. Like I will, I will take it back to like, like we'll have a fucking bear in the middle of the field. We'll <laughs> wrestle a bear. Like, like I will make these games so much fucking fun, and I will get out of control. I will definitely get out of control. Can I just tell you how much I'm in? <laughs> like how you know, and I have a bit of marketing expertise yeah let's do this i could let's buy the buccaneers you know how much Bert, we're buying the buccaneers fun that would be to watch like well the owner made the team play a scrimmage against a, like yeah. just ridiculousness can i, can I, I get, coach yeah yeah <laughs> i get i like it would be like yeah. and like my biggest thing one of the things like life goals and this is going to sound real low i remember when i was I want to say maybe I was at Florida State or maybe I was right before I went to Florida State. Yeah. Burt Reynolds uh, bought the the Seminoles uniforms. He bought them a new uniform and it was gold on gold. It was ridiculous. They yeah. looked like sunshine. It looked like there. Burt Reynolds. It looked ridiculous. But yeah. he bought it for them and he made them wear it. It was like a million dollars and he bought them uniforms and he made them wear them. And they wore them for one game and it was like the Burt Reynolds uniform. I want to do that in my life so bad for Florida State to just design a uniform and, and buy them, make them, and then send them in, and then they have to wear them. Like, but I'm so famous, they have to wear them because I'm famous. Yeah, that's one of my goals. Or, or because you also just built a new wing on the stadium. Yeah, you know I mean there are. Yeah, I, if I owned the Bucks, I would have like I would have ruffles on the sides of their like just really... make them actually look like pirates. Yeah, yeah, make them look like pirates. <laughs> 
I'm like, everybody's got to play with an got eye patch. Long sleeves with those pirate sleeves and the ruffled front. And can you can you have the offensive coordinator have a monkey on his shoulder, please? Yeah, Just have like styrofoam funny. swords. Oh my god, that would be amazing. It would be so great. I've like actually your shoes look like the patent leather buckled shoes. We get cleats that look like pirate cleats. Just, yeah. I've actually said many, many times that I believe... One white sock, I one could, brown sock, so it looks like a peg leg. The, <laughs> a knee high. Do you know how much sock. fun I'd be as a fucking owner? All I need is $100 million. Well, we'll get Probably you there. a little more. I, uh, I, I just raised about 10 for my special, so I can... 10 grand, not oh, yeah. 10 million. So. I, raised, I raised about, yeah. I think, 40 for my, um, for my documentary. Yeah. And it's finally done. It should be coming out soon. I just don't know where or when. We had a screening yeah. in Tampa. For those of you that are dying to know where the, where your money went, it's a movie. They're very difficult to fucking edit. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so that should be coming out soon. But so the yeah, crowdfundings. I, I, I have believed often that if I were put in charge of, like when the twins were just losing so much money. Yeah. And they were still good. Like, I I believe I can run a baseball team better than half the owners that are there. And I don't just mean, like, fucking around, like, making them wear pirate shit. I mean, like, you know, actually making them care about the fans, yeah. you know? Maybe encourage them to sign autographs every so often. Sell a few million dollars worth of tickets yeah. by giving people an incentive to go to the game, you know? And so there's a lot of stuff I've always wanted to do that. And so the idea of this appeals to me. So much. We'll, we'll talk about it. So much. So you got your special coming out. You're shooting yeah. your special in February. You got the clubs. You're on tour. How many dates are you touring this year? Uh, I've been touring mainly rock clubs. And so I do a lot with the hard rock. Um, I'll usually do about, you know, anywhere from two to four days a week. And then the rest I'm home. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in L.A. writing, so I can't go on the road too much. Um, but, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I'm out there a lot. And what I love about rock venues is the people who come, they don't walk up. People come knowing that there's a show and knowing that I'm the one on the show. Yeah. And so my walkout ratio is... It makes comedy very different. Is Yeah, is a lot different because people are there rooting for me. And every now and then someone sees it advertised and or like if I do like a Groupon, you know, some, some fucking hick will be like, $5, I'll pay $5 and then... Yeah. Ruin the show, but Jake for the Kirkman most part, and I were talking about how much how nice it is to have people come to see your show. Who want to see your show? It's it's amazing. It's it's a different world, and I can't sell out theaters yet, but I can do rock clubs. And Don't get me wrong, I love yeah gaining it. Like that's one of the things I talked to Christina Pajinski and I talked about yeah. it, and we talked about the. The benefit that these funny bones and improvs have when maybe they don't give you the money that you feel like you're worth yeah. in some venues, in some markets you won't get the money you feel like you're worth or you won't get maybe the money that you'd get at an independent club. Um, what they are offering is a fan base that you haven't yet met. Yeah, new fans. And, I, and, I, and I'm never going to – I told her, I said, you got to – Take it on the chin for a couple clubs out of the year. Not all your clubs, but a couple yeah. clubs. They're going to offer you 13 dates that maybe are is not. But it's 13 guaranteed dates that you wouldn't you'd have yeah. to hustle to get. And and you're going to. And make it also depends t- on how you're treated. Like one of the things that's so important to us, like with Morty's and why people like it, is the hotel's gorgeous. You know, we we feed people. We you know we let them drink within reason. Yeah. You know, we we let them not drink away their show. I mean, you you might be you might be better. When you drink, but there are a lot of comics who aren't. Um, oh yeah, and uh, you know we we just treat people well. We make it a good experience, and the the crowd that we've built is for the most part respectful and and happy about comedy. And so for us, that's 
it's funny. I'm sitting here going like, yeah, I don't really play clubs anymore because, you know, I have this rock club thing. But I'll still play the good ones. Oh, yeah. Still happy to play the good ones. I, there's a lot of clubs. There's a lot of clubs that I took uh, that I took. I didn't rake over the coals for money this yeah. year because I was like, I like that club. Well, here's – yeah, here and here's the difference. It's It's about treating talent well. It's about – the customer is not always right. And our philosophy, and this is something I got from Marshall when there was someone who was complaining, he was like offended that someone was making fun of the Blue Angels and he's like, they fought for your freedom. And it's like, no, nah, they're, they're stunt pilots at county fairs. I think you misunderstood what, <laughs> what they're talking about. <laughs> but he's complaining to Marshall outside and he goes, uh, uh, he's like, you know, maybe this isn't the club for you. And so Marshall and I wish we had talked more about Marshall, but I'll have Marshall yeah. on the podcast. Marshall has always been a, a defender of the comic first. Yes. And then letting the business, hoping the business follows good yeah. comedy. Well, two, two quick stories. Cause we got to wrap up and I actually got to drive to Utah as soon as this is over. Oh, uh, I'm fostering a dog that has to go up there. So we're delivering him. So oh, I, I'm nice. trying to be an adult. And You're all delivering that. the dog, a blind pit bull. Oh, that's gonna yeah. be fun. Yeah, we're uh, we're we're driving him up to Salt Lake, so uh, there and back in a day, which is crazy. But um, uh, the well, we can't give him the life he needs here. You know, he needs a lot of care, and I'm on the road most of the time. But anyway, uh, two quick stories about you know how how our clubs treat comics. Um, one was at the Laughing Devil, uh, sold out crowd. Everybody's having a good time. I'm actually one of the comics that went on. There were like three comics in. Some guy who ordered a bunch of drinks, drank them all. And then leaves and wants his money back after like three comics saying the show's terrible. Everyone's killing. Yeah. Show's terrible. He didn't like the show. He disagreed with the fairly progressive viewpoint that most comics have. And he's in New York City visiting from somewhere else and doesn't understand that, you know, if a comic is progressive in Iowa, what the fuck you think they're going to be like in New York? So, <laughs> uh, so he complains to the manager, I want my money back, blah, blah, blah. And the manager says, well, I'm sorry, you drank your drinks. You know, you can't change the outcome of how the game was when you bought a ticket. Like, you you lost. I'm sorry. But, you know, you're welcome to leave. But we can't give you your money back. You took seats from people who could have came in. So then he goes, I demand to speak to the owner. Manager goes, yeah, go ahead. Meanwhile, I'm right there. And I'm one of the comics he's complaining about. So I talked to him. And he's, like, you know, putting up this fight. And I go, I'm sorry. This is, we can't. It says no refunds. You drank your drinks. You could have, if you left beforehand, we would have we would have comped the drinks. That would have been fine. And uh, and he goes, well, I'm never coming back. And I go, yeah, that's what I just said. And uh, <laughs> he didn't like that. Um, and then at Morty's, uh, Jamie Kilstein was the comic, and he's Ooh, he's, he's incredibly I'm ready for the complaints. Yeah, he's incredibly. But the thing about Jamie. Jamie is Jamie is a great guy, and he's a very funny comic. Yeah, but he is very polarizing. He's incredibly polarizing, but he doesn't take it from the standpoint of like, you know, Republicans are stupid. He's just like, let's defend women's rights, let's defend gay rights, you know. And we it was during Indy Five Hundred weekend on purpose, Jesus on purpose Christ. because everyone would be distracted. Everyone who would hate him would be distracted with Indy Five Hundred, and yeah. the people who would still come to the club. We advertised it as progressive politics. It's a political show, leaning left. Stay home otherwise. We put that on the posters. Four born agains came in without bothering to read. If your a damn wife cuts thing. your hair, you don't want to come. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Anyone who owns a Floby is not admitted to this. So uh, we four born agains come in. Compact cars only in our parking it's, lot. 
That would be amazing. We're out of truck spots. That's all, that's all you have to do is just put lines in between all the other trucks by exactly. the right Exactly. And then, yeah, and then they can't. Well, no, because they'll park there anyway. Yeah. That's the worst part. So they, uh, uh, so they came, stayed for the whole show, and then demanded their, their money back. Jamie actually was really nice to them and apologized and said, hey, I'm sorry. I'm not the comic for everybody. I'm sorry you guys didn't have a good time. You know, the club has other acts that you might like. And the manager offered them tickets to a future show. No, not enough for them. They needed to make a stink. So they then send the club an email, three of them as if they're from different parties. Like, I don't already know what the fuck's going on. Yeah. Uh, calling us, we're not good Christians. I'm like, well, the club's actually owned by like a Jew and two atheists. And like, we, yeah, I'm a terrible Christian. I'm the worst kind. I'm a Jew. So <laughs> I'm the one that kind of gave you your religion. <laughs> exactly. Well, in that sense, very good Christian. Yeah. So uh, the, you know, I, I, I read back and say no. And I get this, you know, vitriol back and just this terrible, you know, long ranting thing about how dare we blah, blah, blah. And at that point, I'm like, you've pushed me too far. So I said, we're not going to give you your money back. But you guys paid $60 between the four of you, $15 tickets. We're donating it to Planned Parenthood in your name. And so there is now a letter that explains the story with the donation to Planned Parenthood in their name uh, that says, Comics, we got your back. Because we want comedians to understand that if they're respectful of our, of our customers, which they were, Jamie was perfectly respectful. He didn't, you know, I'm not talking about getting the back of anybody who starts shit. You yeah. know, when Eddie Griffin threw some shit at people and or, or or I guess they threw something, whatever, when he was like, lesbians are disgusting, you're terrible people or whatever he said. That's not something we're going to be like, yeah. Uh, you how know? can you enjoy porn if you believe that? But exactly. Come That's what on. I say. They're and beautiful. the threesomes, threesomes. I like, the, a, I like the lesbians that they don't videotape. I like the ones that people like I have a that real, they're just lesbians for the sport of it. I love I, I have a real affinity to lesbians for some reason. I connect very quickly with lesbians and I've yeah. dated a couple lesbians. And I lived with some lesbians in New York. I did, I did one. I, I did it a couple. At yeah. one point, I thought hmm, maybe I'm maybe it's me. Yeah. Um. That that I love that my favorite story of and I I know I'm bertizing this story and making it whatever yeah. I want the story. I to love be, that that's a verb. But but um the I'm bertranding it. Yeah. But uh, was Doug Stanhope got in trouble in some city? And they fucking wrote him the most scathing letter. Your stand up is disgusting. Yeah. It's inhumane. It's uh it's anti Catholic, anti Christian, and I, I your jokes on abortion and AIDS are ridiculous. And Doug Stanhope wrote back and said, I couldn't agree with you more. When I got the script to me provided by the club for that night's show, <laughs> I was not a fan of the material either. That's However, hilarious. they they forced me to perform that material and they wrote back like I fucking knew it. Yeah, I knew it couldn't have been you. That does it. I'm writing a, by the Better Business Bureau, and Doug's like, good good call. But I love when a club, club gets the comics backs. Yeah. I love that. That's the reason people fucking support great comedy clubs. Well, the and that is that is our goal. You know, and I, I even like it. I'll take it a step further. I've had Doc at the, uh, at the Dayton Funny Bone not tell me about times when people got upset with me. Because he's like, you didn't need to know about it. I got your back. Yeah, and exactly. I go, thank you, because I don't want to know about it. Yeah, you don't have to deal with that shit. Yeah, I want to leave going, everyone fucking thought I was a genius. Yeah, I saw um, I saw Marshall once at his own club where he could lose all the money. There was a big church group, like 25 people. And at his own club, he like finds out, you know, oh, you're from blah, 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 church or whatever. And, and this was, you know, four or five years ago. This Well, this was still at the Funny Farm. 
uh, before Skull. I love the funny so, one. So, yeah, that was fun. The original one, not the one at Andretti's. The one that moved to Andretti's was no, terrible. Uh, yeah, I didn't like the Andretti's yeah, one. Yeah, the, the original the one. The original one was one of my favorite yeah. clubs. Oh, it was great. Although, I mean, Skull, I believe, is, is the best club in the country. I mean, the, the, I, and I, I, love and I don't just say Skull. that because Marshall's my business partner. I say that because I've never, I've never gone to a club with a better audience, with a more knowledgeable comedy audience. Um, anyway, so he was up there, and there was his church group, and he asked what church they were from, and they said, and he goes, now, is that the church that preaches that you should love your brother? Or is that the church that's against gay marriage? Which of the which church is it? And they were just I mean, they found it funny, but that's a fucking risk. That's a roll of the dice and, in Atlanta. And that's what I love about Marshall and especially the suburbs of Atlanta. The rich oh, white Roswell, suburbs. Roswell. That was yeah. That's where all my buddies that are coming over today are from. Yeah. I guarantee you they wouldn't find that joke funny. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> and uh and but that is what I love about Marshall, about the idea that for him it is it's a phrase the phrase uh, Phil Palisol used this uh about me when I was a feature, uh, where he said it's dropping the comedy plow and just Seeing what happens. Yep. And and uh, that is a phrase I would certainly use about Marshall Childs. And, you know, and that's and I like it of him as a comic and as an owner. And that's why we get along really well. That's why we've been friends since the first time we worked together. Yeah. I've, Marshall's a great guy. I got to have Marshall yeah. on the podcast. Well, Steve, yeah. I appreciate you coming over, man. This really turned out great. It all started I because so. I tweeted I tweeted a picture of. Yeah, of me looking like Edward Snowden. Yeah, or, no, like, Edward Snowden Edward looking, looking like, like me. Like, yeah, woo. Steve's in some hot water. Can I just say there are is a not small group of people on the internet who believe that I'm him. Who, like, they're conspiracy theorists. And I keep getting messages on my Facebook who are like, why won't you address this? Why won't you address... And I'm like, because it's insane. It's insane people. You gotta do a video. I did. Edward, I, Snow- Edward Snowden just hanging out and just talking to people. I did I did outtakes of the original Snowden video. Like, I really? did... There's a video on my YouTube. Just look up, like, Edward Snowden outtakes. And there's a video of me as him, like the same position, the same, you know, similar lighting yeah. of just me saying things like just ridiculous things like they know everything about us. They know how many how many almonds we've eaten. They know how many times I've borrowed my friend's HBO uh, Go account to watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> and that guy got his penis cut off. And that was a really jarring moment. Like, oh, just, God, I can't wait for Game of Thrones. Just, oh, it's the best. <laughs> um, and so there's just like a whole bunch of that. And then I did one of me uh, as him calling around for asylum to different countries. You know, I've just been like, no, hey, Canada, yeah, I should have called yeah. you earlier. I'm so sorry. You know, like all that kind of you stuff. You look so. like Snowden, and I always thought Steve Byrne sounds like Tiger Woods. When you get a voice, Oh, my God, yeah. So when Steve Byrne leaves you voicemail, it sounds like Tiger Woods' voicemail. Identical. And I was like, yeah. Steve, you have to do – Just you don't have to do a character. Just be you. Yeah. Like, hey, it's Tiger. Uh, I'm going to choke the fuck out of you tonight. Like, just whatever. I, I, I'm uh, Clearly, I'm, I'm more uh, thematic as opposed to material-driven in these bits. Yeah, but it's still, it still works. <laughs> Um, I, I've done a couple of Snowden videos. The only reason I haven't done more is because none of them took off the way I thought they would. Yeah. Like I've got, I mean, my YouTube's huge. I have 35,000 subscribers and the Snowden videos might get, you know, a couple thousand views. I think just a lot of people just don't, aren't educated enough to know why it's funny. Yeah. Like they'll just go, Hey, he looks like that guy. But then the content of the video like isn't, isn't as funny. Yeah. So there was one part I made fun of, uh, as one of the videos, I just, one of the clips, it just cuts back to me and I just have no shirt on. <laughs> Cause he had kind of his buttons were a little too far open for yeah, the, for, for, a, the, for a snitch. Yeah. And so I just made fun of that where I'm just, I just, in an it, airport, just I guess. it just cuts back to me and I'm just not wearing any shirt. It just, just for like half a second. I'm like, what is this too much? And then it goes back. Uh, so I had fun with it, and but I better play him in the movie. I better fucking play him in the movie. There's oh. got to be a movie. It's gonna be. It's got to happen. 
Yeah. So if there's an Ed Snowden movie, if they don't call me first, I'm going to fucking kill him. You should start really getting into that to your character acting now, like getting to know him and you know that kind of shit. Yeah, Fly out to Russia, to... hang out with him for a week. Yeah, definitely. Get to know him. You I've... should option the rights to the book. I look like him, and I've lived in many in airports for many nights. So perfect. Exactly. I heard he has a black sister. The, yeah. um... <laughs> All right, Bert. I'm gonna drive to Utah. This hey. was this was so much fun, man. I appreciate man. it, man. Thank, Thank you. Great guy. It's been a blast. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.